You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Right now, I'm on MLB.com, also on my second cup of coffee. I didn't sleep well last night. I'm going to be dead honest with you. And Brian McTaggart, who has been on this program before, who covers the Astros for MLB.com, has a story with some stuff in it that it's uh, not very good. But I'm watching a highlight package of the Astros' four-run sixth inning. And I talked about it yesterday, going back as you can go and follow the game on MLB.com, see every pitch, see where every pitch goes. And I told you yesterday in the postgame show, the A's clubhouse show, how bad location was all day long. But now watching the highlights of the four-run sixth inning, my God, the A's just essentially served up belt-high fastball slider between J.B. Wendelkin and then Jake Diekman. You You couldn't serve it up any better. Like, I didn't mean to start the show, but I saw this article, so I clicked on it, and I started seeing these highlights. I mean, these balls are down the middle. The more I think about it, it's not like the Astros. I I mean, if, if I think about it more, you basically just served it up to them yesterday. It's not like they hit a bunch of good pitches to beat you. You start looking at these highlight packages. My God, location, location, location. A's pitchers had zero location yesterday. You may say the ball's flying at Dodger Stadium, but if you go through these highlight packages and you see where these pitches are, I don't care where you're playing. You're going to get hammered. Game two. I think this is kind of the big thing for me today as we've got a stacked lineup for you today. Game two, you got to play big. You've got, this is the postseason. You've got to step your game up and play big. We talked about it yesterday. Eight straight game game one losses, including the wild card games. So you lost game one of the ALCS to the Tigers in 2006. 
You lost game one in 12 and 13 to the Tigers. You lost the wild card to the Royals in 14, Yankees in 18, Rays in 19, White Sox in 20, and now this series. You got to play big, man. It's the postseason. And we're going to have Robbie Grossman coming up here in just a little bit. And Robbie's going to tell you, they, you know, he, I, I, I don't know who watched the Yankee game with him, but he watched the Yankee game. Watch the Yankees right now. They're playing big. Look what the Astros brought to the table yesterday. It's playoffs. You got to bring your A game. Can't be making errors. You can't be serving up the ball down the middle. You can't play small. You got to play big. And what I mean by playing big is you've got, you've got to make it happen. You got to make the pitches. You got to be clutch when it comes to hitting. I mean, the A's in run it with runners in scoring position continue to not. Well, you know what? That's got to end today. You can't leave all those ducks on the pond if you want to be the world champion, if you want to move on the a- to the ALCS. You can't do that. I mean, with runners in scoring position, they've been horrific. The A's went 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position yesterday. 3 for 20 with runners in scoring position this postseason. The last three years, okay, lost to the Yankees, lost to the Rays, finally overcome the White Sox. And then tomorrow, they're three for 30 in the last three years with runners in scoring position. That's a batting average of 100. That's not playing big. I hope that that makes sense. You can't win in the postseason when you're hitting 100 with runners in scoring position. Home runs are great, but other teams are going to hit. And if you're going 3 for 30, 0 for 6, 3 for 20, that's not going to cut it. That's not playing big. That's not stepping your game up to the competition. This is the elite of the elite. Do you belong? That's the question. Do you belong? Or are you just a cute story that gets into the postseason and that's it? We had a little discussion last night on our phones that I will get to in a second. As Commander Cody is hanging out with some family right now. And uh, we'll get into that discussion in a second. Robbie Grossman is going to be here at 930. Friend of the program, host of MLB Network and also Sunday Night Baseball, playoff baseball now. Matt Vaskersian will be here at 10. Dave O'Brien, who is a Red Sox play-by-play man and also working for ESPN. He's doing the play-by-play for this series. will be here at 1030. Robert Ford, friend of the program, will be back once again. Play-by-play man for the Houston Astros at 11. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com at 11.30. And then Fosse and Friends. Today, Scrap Iron, Phil Gardner and Ray Fosse at 12 o'clock. Now now that's playing big. That's a big lineup. That's going out of your way to put something together, Commander Cody. 
Very, very impressive. But yesterday, I said to you while watching the Rays give it up, these teams that are built by analytics, and not saying not all, I mean, all teams are built by analytics, but they're built with a certain budget. They got to do things a little different. When are they going to step it up in the postseason? And the Rays one time have done that. And that's when they got to the World Series and lost to the Phillies. Now, that was a completely different group. What was that, 08? I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah, 2008. That was when David Price was coming out of the bullpen for the Rays back in Carl the Carl Crawford, Evan Longoria. I mean, that was a long time ago. I think I think B.J. Upton was still B.J. Upton then, if he was even on that team. I think he was. But you, you get yeah. the gist of it. Uh, J- big game James. Uh, those oh, are the God. guys they had. Yeah, so that's when they made the World Series. That was 12 years ago already, which is crazy. But that's it. Other than that, the Rays, every single time they get in, and I know they battled hard last year against the Astra, they never win. They never win. They never win the division series. And that's what's going to be so fascinating to me in the next couple days. Can the Rays and the A's step their game up? Or here we are again, losing in the the division series, and the moment's too big for you. It's a legitimate question. I mean, you can't, you can't, I mean, I can look at the Rays, I can look at the A's, I can look at all these, you know, in 2000, they won the first game. 2001, they won the first game. 2003, they won the first game, but then they'd end up losing. I mean, they've only won in the division series one time, 2006. All these other times, whether it's division series or wild card, they got bounced. The Rays, other than one time, always get bounced. There is something about stepping your game up in the postseason. I mean, look what we saw last night. Slam Diego was Slam New York. The Yankees put it on the Rays last night. The Yankees put it on the Indians. That's the number one pitching staff in the American League, the Cleveland Indians, and they whooped their you-know-what. And what did they do the Rays last night? Not only did they get a cushion, they end up blowing it out. And I, and I threw it to you, Cody. I threw it to you, and I said, you know, What's up with this? Why, 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 do the, why do these two teams could be hell on wheels at times? And then once you get into the postseason, I mean, because it's not like, let, let's face it. Game three against the White Sox was great, but that wasn't a convincing win. The White Sox had to do a lot of dumb stuff. The game, we were on your edge the entire time. It was four hours and nine minutes, whatever. It wasn't a dominating by performance by any stretch of the imagination. You know, does this team, the way they are constructed, do they have the ability to step up and be a consistent, dominant team? And you can say the same thing for the race. Stop telling me about the regular season. What do you do in the bright lights? Their bullpen yesterday was, you know, who? And they're throwing, they're throwing up goose eggs. You know, the whole script about pitching, defense, all that, 
failed the A's yesterday. Yeah, we saw a lot of different things happen in the game for the Astros. They had, what was it, five different guys had multiple hits. George Springer had four hits. He looked like the he looked like uh, he's going to be the most coveted free agent this offseason, which he still might be regardless coming into this series. He would have been. Uh, we saw – you're right, though, about missing location because there were so many balls on both sides. Lance McCullers missed a lot of spots. But the strike zone – I'm never a guy that goes the strike zone was awful, but – that was that. Yesterday, given another case where we need the uh, the um, automated strike zone because some of those strike calls were really bad on both sides. It wasn't just you know they're hurting the A's. There were some bad calls against the Astros too. But when you mention about why the Rays win in the postseason, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it to you that what they do in the regular season is great, and I love what they do with all the the relievers and their bullpen being shut down. But they lack star power sometimes, and with them, they lack rotational depth. Like it's crazy to think that they they talk, everyone talks about Snell and and Glass now. Then you go, well, who's after him? It's crazy people forget that Charlie Morton is their third starter, and he was the starter in the wild card game last year against the A's, and shoved. He was great, but it, that's the one thing with the Rays that it's going to get them is is they they rely too much on that bullpen, and they don't have enough uh, rotational depth, in my opinion, to to win in the postseason and. Their players are – they have a lot of very good players, but the Yankees showed last night why they have Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. Don't call me Mike. And they showed it. Judge, a huge home run. Stanton, a grand slam in the ninth inning to put the game away. It was only the second time since 19 – first time since 1956. Second time ever the Yankees have had two grand slams in the same postseason. So that was courtesy of John Carlo and Gio Urshela. The Yankees are showing why they're paying these guys all that money because they're worth it. And they shoved the Rays last night, 9-3, and Garrett Cole. Did, did he show the full acumen of why they gave him $325 million, 36 per year? Not completely, but he did go six innings, and he struck out eight, and he walked, and he only gave up three runs. So in the books, that's a quality start, and that's why the Yankees, they're playing small ball too. They make a lot of contact, and that's and they drive runs in. And that was something we saw the A's who Olsen hits the home run, and then they got guys on th- second and third with no out, and they couldn't score a run. Then the Astros essentially did the same thing and th- scored four runs with two outs. So uh, I think today's going to be a different day against Fr- uh, Framber Valdez, but uh, you, you got to get guys in when you have them on base. Yeah, expect to, you know, it's very obvious what their game plan is. They know the A's struggle against curveballs, and that's why they're going back-to-back guys that throw a lot of curveballs. Valdez was more curveball. He threw more curveballs than anybody in the big leagues this year. And we had that stat for you yesterday that the A's hit a buck eighty against breaking balls this season, which was the third lowest in baseball. But whatever, you can throw all that. You know what? It's playoffs. You got to throw the numbers out. Who's going to step up? Because I can look. I mean, just look at the box score from last night's game of the Yankees, and everybody hit. They have 15 hits. Everybody everybody in their starting lineup had a hit yesterday against the number two pitching staff in baseball. Everybody had a hit. Everybody came to play. Rays, they had six hits. I got a team that's got 15 versus a team that has six. Ray struck out 11 times. Yankees struck out six. So I get more hits than you. I strike out less. Guess what? 
I got a good chance that I'm going to win this game. And by the way, it wasn't like Garrett Cole was the difference. Garrett Cole went six innings, gave up three. Blake Snell went five, gave up four. It was one less. Now, it was Curtis that came in 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 the end and completely gave it up. But, you know, that's that's what they do. They just came up big. They had big innings late. They had a big inning late against the Indians to knock them out. And now a big inning late to really put their, their, you know, to step on the Tampa Bay Rays. What happened yesterday? Big innings for the Astros. Three in the fourth, four in the sixth, two in the ninth. That's good numbers, man. What is it? Springer, Altuve, Bregman, and Correa combined for what? Like 11 hits and eight RBIs? Their big boys came to play. It was also the first time, and uh, thanks to Vince Catronio, he put this tweet out like I think 15 minutes or so ago, that yesterday in game one was the first time in 2020 that the Astros had Springer, Brantley, Bregman, Altuve, and Correa all in the same lineup against the A's. So, And those guys all showed up yesterday. Uh, Bregman with the home run. Uh, like I said, Springer had four hits. Brantley, you know, Brantley might have been the only guy that didn't look, look that great. Uh, Altuve had, that nice, had the double, and Correa had three hits. Correa is kind of quietly trying to shut up the, the people that are, um, I guess you could say, the haters. Uh, everyone that like CC Sabathia and stuff, all the people that are getting on. Oh, him. We gotta play that. Yeah, it was, it's really good stuff. And then okay, hold on, Correa is the first player in postseason history with multi, with multiple multi HR games while appearing as a shortstop. He also had a multi-HR game in 2015 ALDS Game 4 against the Royals. His 14 postseason his four, his God, I can't talk this morning. His 14 postseason HRs are one shy of George Springer for the most in franchise history. Now it's really tough. There's all these different stuff, all these different stats coming out about home runs. Now these guys all play more games than yesteryear players in the postseason, so you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But still, he's doing it. He's making it happen. Their best players bring in their A game. They've won three in a row. They're 3-0 and in this postseason. So that's kind of where I look at Tampa. That's where I kind of look at uh, the Oakland A's. What do you got? Because today is the day. No excuses today. You can't go down 0-2. I mean, I can already so we've already Sarah Langs gave us the number yesterday. It's not good. And a best of si- best of five series, the winner of game one has gone on to take ninety-eight of hundred and thirty-six. That's seventy-two percent. If I went to Vegas and I won seventy-two percent of the time, I'd be rich. If I sat at the sports book and won 72% of the time, they'd kick me out of town. Professional gamblers, if they can win like 52 to 53% of the time, they're doing well. Since 2010, 30 of the last 40 best of five have won when they win game one. Now remember... Houston was just averaging 2.4, 2.5 runs per game against the A's this season. They changed that in a hurry. So let's see what you got. 
Let's see what you got. And coming into the and coming into yesterday, the Astros bullpen, uh, they were struggling coming into the postseason. Let me say, and since then, I believe they've like nine and two thirds scoreless innings coming from the Twin Series, and then yesterday because McCullers gave up majority of the runs, and then their bullpen came in and and they shut and they shut down. They looked good. They had an ERA over like four. I want to say their bullpen ERA coming into postseason was like four point seven or something, and then they showed yesterday. Uh, the 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 regular season matters. The, the regular season numbers don't matter to them, and you know you're, you want to try to get to that bullpen because a lot of guys you never heard of before. Besides, probably Ryan Presley as we went over yesterday, but they, their bullpen looked good. Where the A's bullpen, which was the best in Major League Baseball, stumbled a little bit yesterday. Uh, yeah, they um, they went five scoreless. the The script was flipped. The A's built on defense, pitching. I mean, that was a tough air by Marcus Simeon, obviously. Um, you know, having to come over to second base and make that play when if you're not in a shift, it would be a routine ground ball. The shift has definitely hurt the A's a couple times. But that doesn't mean you can just then just give it up. And if you go back and watch the highlights, oh, God. I, I mean I hate to I hate to say it this way, but it was Meatball City. Those were not good pitches. And even McCullough, I can't remember, what home run was it? Murphy's home run or was it Olsen's home run? Might have been both of those home runs where he threw it and turned around, the ball went out, and he turned around and looked at the dugout and he's like, What? Uh go back and look at the location. Well, <laughs> McCullough. Olsen's ball, I remember it just kept carrying, and he kept looking and looking, and like it, you didn't know if it was going to go out, then it finally went out. And then Chris Davis singles, and then you had the double by Grossman that looked like when, he, when it went off the bat, I thought it was a home run. The swing, the launch angle, it looked like it was going to be a home run, then it dropped right in front of the wall in, le- in right field, and then they failed to score any runs with, with no outs with second and third. So you got to capitalize in those situations. And you mentioned the uh, losing the game once, every game once since the ALCS in 06. They've been outscored in those games forty six to twenty one. I went back and did the, the the look and did the math on that. Forty six to twenty one in game ones, dating back to the 06 ALCS versus the, the Detroit Tigers. So you gotta you gotta the, I don't know what it is with game ones with them and wild card games, but uh, they got through the series with the White Sox and that's great. But you go back to the Rays. The Rays had that one outlier year where they went to the World Series, and every year they lose in the ALDS. That's either as a wild card team or winning the division like the A's did this year. Oh, you can't make this up. 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position yesterday. 3 for 20 this postseason, which is hitting 150. And the last three years, three wild card, three wild, essentially, well, two wild card games, a wild card series, and now game one of the ALDS. They're three for 30 with runners in scoring position. That's 100. It's not acceptable. I got to call it as I see it. It's not acceptable if you want to be a postseason juggernaut performer and keep moving on and play for a world championship. I get you want to hit home runs. But you're going to have to do more than hit home runs. God, if you don't hit home runs, you got nothing. That's scary. Isn't that scary to think? 
if you don't hit home runs, you can't score. Like, if you ran up against, like, Dodger Stadium, you ran up old school against, like, if Oral Hershiser walked back out to that mound, Oral didn't give up jacks in his prime before he hurt the shoulder. He was sinking that ball. You couldn't lift it. How are you going to score? By the way, sure seems like the juice balls, juice bats are back, right? There were a lot I mean, of home runs yesterday in both the, in both games. Yeah, I mean, I could swear when I was a kid, Dodger Stadium was a pitcher's ballpark. It didn't matter what. It didn't matter what, uh, whether it was night or daytime. Who's got the single season record for home runs for the Dodgers in a home season? I mean, I would if I had to bet, I, I don't know the answer. Is it still Piazza? Probably. I'd have uh, see. That's a good guess. I don't. I, don't, I always want to go with Sean Green because he. Ha- I think he's their single season home run leader. Because it's not going to be Garvey or Say or those guys. Rick Monday, Dusty Baker. The great Davy Lopes, uh, Steve Yeager. The record is this is from last year, but it looks like Bellinger has the record. It's a, this is back for from, home dingers in a season. Yeah, this is from September twenty fourth of last year. It says Bellinger hit twenty seven home runs at Dodger Stadium, the record for most home runs at Dodger Stadium in a single season. Huh? What's different about uh, modern day baseball than way back then of those guys? When Bill Russell was playing shortstop with Davey Lopes at second, the Penguin at third, Steve Garvey at first. The juice ball is back, baby. And when you make Petco look small, I know they move the fences in a little bit, but come on, man. The even 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 Mike call me Giancarlo Stanton even talked about, hey, I hit that that grand slam. I had to hit it through the marine lair last night. Ball does not fly. You got to realize, San Diego moved their ballpark downtown right next to the water. Like the water's uh, driver, it's like a par five to the marina. So they truly have a marine lair there. <sighs> yeah, there were six homers hit in the A's, A's Astros game, six home runs hit in the Rays Yankees game. Four by the Yankees, so that makes it 13 0 this postseason. When a team out homers his opponent, so the Yankees hitting their four home runs, and John Carlos Stanton's grand slam, even though they already had with three to two, but he hit that last one to put the cherry on top. Thirteen to zero when you out homer your opponent, so uh, I guess it'd be thirteen zero and one because the Astros tied the A's in home runs. So, but we don't talk about ties on this program, unless it's Ernie Banks's record in in uh, double headers when the Cubs actually had ties back in the uh, 50s and 60s. So the Yankees hit five home runs yesterday? Uh, four. They hit uh, Clint Frazier, Kyle uh, Higashioka, the personal catcher for Garrett Cole, and they don't lose when he catches Garrett Cole. Higashioka, by the way, he got, he Higashioka lifted that one he hit yesterday. Yeah. He was two for four. Yeah, uh, Stanton hit one and then Judge, so there's the four from the Yankees. But Higashioka – you put him back there with Garrett Cole, that's guaranteed to win because I don't think they've lost in his last like five or so starts with him catching Garrett Cole. So I think Garrett, I don't need the Sanchino. Yeah, I mean, did he even play yesterday? I don't even think he played. 
Oh, uh, I got Higashioka. Yeah. What do I need to say? Why do I need that stiff behind the plate? Well, I mean, he still has some power. I mean, he's only going to – yeah, I think he only hit, like, what, 130 in the regular season, but he still has a little bit of power. But uh, defensively, Fossey – sometimes we have to ask Fossey about Gary Sanchez because the way he gets down in the crouch, he gets down in one knee. There's a lot of pass balls sometimes with him. Uh, I'm sure Fossey could break down the full catching prowess of the Sanchino. Higashioka's hitting 333 with a over 1,000 OPS in this postseason. What are we talking about here? If you want to be really, you want to be, you want to you take it one step further. He's hitting 500 in the ALDS. I mean, he, he hit 250 this year, four bombs, 10 RBIs, and 16 games. Higashioka, I, 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 Sanchino can't see the field. Small sample size theater. All right, coming up next, we're heading to Los Angeles, Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine, Robbie Grossman is going to talk us off the ledge next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Are the Yankees taking a gamble tonight? Davey Garcia is going to go tonight. The rookie for the Yankees. Are they feeling themselves instead of going Tanaka, Cody? I like Garcia. He's the—I mean, he's like the future with Luis Severino, who Severino's off with Tommy John, obviously. But I, I like the move because maybe you're saving Tanaka for Game Three or later in the series, and maybe they're planning on using a bullpen game because that's something that the the Yankees did last year in the postseason. Uh, then again, you're right. They, maybe they are feeling themselves. They won nine three against the team that they really don't like in their own division, and they're trying to go up two zero. I mean, it's and he throws hard, and I I like the, I think he's not on the level of Severino or any of those guys, but he's going to get. He'll be a good probably what I'll say top three starter for them in years going forward behind Cole and Severino. So it's a gamble, but I think it, I think it might pay off for them tonight because. Who's pitching for the Rays? I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be uh, Glass now. So that's going to be a good one. Glass, th- those two guys throwing 97 plus. That'll be that'll be good to watch. Yeah, Glass now and then Morton. Which you for- again, you forget Morton's their third starter after being their best pitcher last year because they didn't have Snell or, and then Glassman came back late in the year and pitched in the postseason. But that was it. I mean, that was the only guys they had. Glass now is filthy. Yeah, I don't like to talk about him. Uh... How's that Chris Archer trade working nobody out? Ca- nobody <laughs> cares about the Pirates. There's not one person listening <laughs> that cares about the Pirates. Could be the worst They're trade. Trash. Could be the wor- absolute trash. Could be the war. It could be the biggest heist in in uh, MLB trade deadline in the last five years. Trash. Earlier today, we caught up with Robbie Grossman down at Chavez Ravine. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, we always love having him on the program. A's outfielder Robbie Grossman. Robbie, how you doing here on a Tuesday? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Looking forward to um, getting out there today and uh, and even in the series. Yeah, I mean this, this game two is huge. You know, you, you lose game one in a best of five series, it kind of puts you in a hole. But if you come back and win today and even up the series, now it's just a best out of three. Correct. Correct. Um, like I said, looking forward to it. The guys are fired up and. Uh, Look forward to go out there and competing today. When you hit that double yesterday, did you think that ball was gone? Uh, no, like in a, in a normal ballpark, not a chance. But here in Dodger Stadium, um, 
that you always have a chance if you hit put the ball in the air at, at, at any point. You know, that's the thing about Dodger Stadium. Years ago, and maybe just because they always had good pitching and they had a bunch of Cy Young Awards, they uh, uh, Cy Young Award winners, they always talked about how Dodger Stadium, it, it's a pitcher's ballpark. But, you know, what we have seen in the series before where you played the Dodgers and, of course, in the game yesterday, it, it, it doesn't seem like a pitcher's ballpark anymore. It seems more like a hitter's park. What are you feeling and seeing there in Chavez Ravine? I've always heard that it, it's a it's a tough place to hit, man. Uh, over the years, I've come here a couple times, and and I've never seen that uh, be the case. Um, it's um it's, it's a great place to hit, great playing surface. Um, obviously, a historical ballpark, but um, always looking forward to playing here. What's it like for you? There just seems to be certain ballparks that when a hitter walks into it, you feel comfortable, you see the ball well, you have a lot of confidence, versus like you go to another ballpark, you feel like, eh, I don't feel so hot here. Like, how does that work out? I think more so just batting practice. Um, you take batting practice in places, and, and especially coming from the Coliseum where you have to hit it twice in most nights to get it out. But um, – come here and you hit a ball at the end and it goes out and you're like oh wow um that's different um i can't wait to get into the game it's just the margin of error um it's just you hit the ball hard it's got a chance yeah it looked like yesterday and you know you tell me being in the outfield it looked like if you hit the ball in the air yesterday it it didn't matter if you're an a or you're an astro it had a chance to go out 100%, and that's been the case every time I've been here. And uh, um, you look back in our series when we played the Dodgers three weeks ago, whatnot, um, it was the same same thing. And uh, it's it's, it's definitely a a reason why all these guys try to hit the ball in the air over here because you you have a chance every time you hit the ball hard uh, for extra base hits. What is the mentality going in a, into a game two, just like you guys did against the White Sox that you're doing today after you lose game one? Hey, today's a new day. Um, we get a chance to even the series. Um, we, we, it was a very good game yesterday. Um, yes, it didn't go our way, but hey, look, today's a new day. Um, we still ultimately have four more games to play, and, uh, and, and, and we'll come out with a win today. You know what I love about it? You guys are such on a day-to-day deal to where, you know, I deal with the fans, and the fans fans either think it's the greatest thing in the world you've won a game or it's like panic city if you lose a game. How is it for players? You guys don't ride that roller coaster. That can't be easy not to ride that. Well, look, um, when you do this for a living, you can't ride that roller coaster or you'll just be a mess. Uh, bottom line, like you have to come in every day as a new day, or uh, you're gonna ride that roller coaster and it's gonna be a, a absolute disaster for you. Um, so um, I think it's just the uh, it comes with playing the game, it comes with experience in the game. Is hey, and and it's gonna it's gonna benefit you going forward. Just coming every day as a new day. You know, it's so key for a starting pitcher to pump the strike zone and keep the rhythm of the game going. And because once a guy starts slowing up and you start walking batters, I mean, it's just disaster city. I, for, for you as a defensive player, how important is it that that starting pitcher gets into a rhythm and really keeps you guys on your toes? Uh, just, uh, just the pace of the game, um, putting press, pressure on their offense, 
Um, and we got guys that do that every time they go out. Um, and uh, just keeps the defense in it and uh, keeps keeps the guys keeps the guys alive and keeps the guys in the game and more so just puts pressure on the other on, on the other team when you can face a guy that is coming right after you and you know you're going to get a strike. It, it, it makes it tough to hit. It's, it's the hardest thing in the world to do is hit a baseball around ball around bat. But you got a guy really challenging you and you know he's coming after you. Know it's going to be in the strike zone. It, it makes it really tough. You know when Chris Davis goes yard. Man, the, the, the dugout absolutely lights up. And he went yard in game two against the White Sox. He went yard yesterday. We know the struggles that he has had. We all love Chris. Just how important is he to your lineup? And when he starts hitting, it starts energizing everybody. 100%. Um, look what he's done for this team over the last three years. I've been on the other side of it. Um, he's carried this team. And we all know how good of a player he is. And I know how, how much is this he is part of this team and we need him and when he like you saw you saw the reaction from the dugout yesterday when he went yard it's uh it's it's a shot in the arm and then of course the astros i mean you know these guys real well i mean the bottom line is they didn't have a great year but now they're 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 three and oh in the playoffs do you you see the confidence that they have as a team that's been battle tested and and they've kind of gotten their groove back uh I wouldn't say they got their groove back. Um, we know who they are. We know who, who we got to beat to to beat them. We know uh, everything that they're going to throw at us. We've seen all their pitchers. Um, we know what kind of game they want to play. Um, but it's just us controlling the game and uh, and uh, playing our game, and we'll beat them like we did in the regular season. You know, we talked to Bob Melvin uh, two days ago, and he talked about finally you guys are in a full bubble and said it's actually really nice that Major League Baseball has done a really good job and a lot of comfort and there's places for you guys to, you know, watch sports, whether it's football or baseball and and work out and train and, and get, get treatment. What, what What's life like inside this new bubble? Uh, it's different. Um, it is a real bubble. Um, it's um, it, it, Everything's been taken care of and that's all we can ask for from uh, Major League Baseball, and 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 now it's just for us to control the controllables of, of playing the game. Well, I got to tell you, man, we're we're all pulling for you and, and hoping for a victory today. And then it's a winner of two out of three. We'll move on down to uh, San Diego. Did you get a chance, by the way, to check out any of uh, the Yankees and the Rays last night? Oh yeah, I watched the game. Um, yeah, what a what a game. Uh, to be a great matchup, just like we have over here on our hands, and uh, hopefully see them in uh, San Diego. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, they all feel like big league fights. I mean, it just seems like <laughs> you got you got four heavyweights going after it, and uh, anybody can knock anybody out. Mm-hmm. And that's playoff baseball, and that's what everyone strives to. From the first day of spring training, this is where you want to be, and and we're here, and uh, it's, it's up to us to to make the best of it. Hey, I always appreciate the time. Good luck today, and hopefully we'll talk to you later on here in the postseason. 100%. Thanks for having me. I may have some good news. You want some good news? I think we always want good news, especially when you deliver it. When Sean Mania starts a day game, his teams are 15-3 and three over the last three se- – of course, it's the A's uh, – 15 and three 
over the last three seasons with the opposition averaging 3.2 runs a game. Somebody likes day games, and that is our guy, Sean Manaya. Well, that's good to know. Does that make you feel better? Yeah, it does. And, and uh, the Astros were, like we mentioned yesterday, uh, the Astros aren't the White Sox against um, left-handed starters. Against left-handed pitching, they were 12-10, and 10, and they hit 232. So they hit 23 homers versus lefties, 46 against righties, so they doubled their home runs against righties. Way more RBIs, and they had a higher OPS against righties. So they struggle a little bit against left-handed hitters. When It's, it's strange because a lot of their best guys in their lineup are right-handed hitters. Bregman, Altuve, um, Correa, Springer. They're all right-handed, where the only left-handed power guy they really have is Tucker and and Brantley. So I'm, 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 I even did the breakdown on Manaya versus the Astros. He's p- faced them once this year, uh, seven innings, four Ks, one run allowed. Overall, in his career versus, career versus Houston, he's three and five with a three two seven ERA, sixty-four Ks, and seventy-one and two-thirds inning. He's allowed seven home runs in those starts. So. We'll see how that what what that number looks like after today, but he, that's those are pretty good numbers against Houston. In his career at Dodger Stadium, he's owned one with a 4.09 ERA in two starts. But he pitched there in 2018 and in 2020, and then some of the Astros hitters uh, against Manaya Gurriel's eight for 29, Altuve's five for 29, Bregman six for 23 with three home runs, Correa's five for 24, but he struck out ten times versus him. Brantley's one for nine. Springer's 11 for 34. He's also struck out 10 times. Uh, Reddick's four for 10. And Kyle Tucker in small sample size is one for three with a double. So there's some of the numbers that the Astros lineup has against uh, Sean Mania today, um, who's pitching today. They need a big start out of him. I think, you know, there's no question about it. Matt Vaskersen's going to join us coming up here at the top of the hour. You know, the tough thing for Sean Manaya today is the fact that he has not pitched since that Wednesday at Dodger Stadium. It's been a while. And that is off his routine, obviously. And not facing hitters for that long. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. It's almost two weeks that Sean Manaya hasn't pitched in a game. You know, the, the, the thing about a, a shortened season like this is that these guys, you know, after two months, you know, what we saw with, like, Chris Bassett, unfortunately we didn't see it yesterday. We saw it against the White Sox. But you're peaking. You're feeling great. I mean, if you went through a little bit of a dead-arm period, you should be out of it. And Sean threw the ball much better in September. Let's see what those numbers are. I had it for you here yesterday. Manaya was 2-1 and one with a 3.04 ERA over four starts in September. So versus what he did before that, where he was 4-3 and three with a 4.50 ERA and 11 starts. So he threw the ball better. It's just there's going to be that layoff. And let's just hope that 
he doesn't have Russ. He's going to have strength. There's going to be no doubt about it. We've seen at times an, uh, an uptick on the fastball. And we talked to him. When did we talk to him? We talked to him on Monday, right? Or Sunday. We talked to him Sunday. Yeah, he was on the show yesterday. So we talked to him literally two days ago. And he said it feels great, feels fine, doesn't expect any rest, so that, that'll be good. And a, a start, I don't expect him to be perfect. I expect there's going to be some runs given up. I mean, the Astros are starting to feel themselves again. And their star players, as much as you hate it, they're starting to come alive. Jose Altuve has been a shell of himself this year. Bregman hasn't had the year. I mean, none of these guys have had the year they 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 normally have. But now they're they're ready to accept the challenge. Did they or did they not prove to you that they're up for it? They're up for the challenge now. They got through the Twins. Twins played. You know, we talk about playing big. Twins played small. They were terrible, couldn't hit, at home, lose two straight, see you later. What is that, 18 straight playoff games they've lost in a row? Yeah, 18. It's a you know, small sample size. <laughs> Tell that to a twin season ticket holder, small sample size. Sample size this. So tired of your sample sizes. Did, did I-, I want winners. Where's Mike Singletary when I need him? I want winners. I want killers. I want guys who go out there and seize the moment. This is your time. This is the time for greatness. This is the time where everybody remembers you in the history of the game. When you come up big in the playoffs. This is where guys' legacies are made. Can't just always be regular season. You got to be able to do it in the postseason. Think about that for the Twins. They've had a really good ball club. They've lost 18 straight postseason games. And then that, you know, you start wondering about that black cloud around you. Because, you know, it's not like it. This isn't like the olden days where it's the same group year after year after year. This is different managers, different coaches, different front office, different players. How's that possible? How is that possible? You know, when the Buffalo Bills lost four straight Super Bowls, I mean, it's the same head coach. It's the same quarterback. It's a lot of the same players. They lost four straight. It's amazing they got the four straight Super Bowls, but they lost four straight Super Bowls. When you see these losing streaks with teams, where there's all kinds of different players, different coaches, different managers. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling. Like, how does this happen? How does history repeat itself, but with different people, different humans, different years? And we're seeing that with the Twins, and I, I, I guess we can say we're seeing it with the A's, with these Game 1 losses. As eight straight eight, eight, uh, eight straight game one losses dating back to 2006. By the way, 2006 was a long time ago. Was that 14 years? That's correct. I was still in high school. 14, yeah. Think about that. Cody was still in high school when this streak started. 
couldn't even tell you where I was in 2006. I would have just been ending my junior year of high school going into my senior year. <laughs> How's that possible? How is that possible? Wait for it. Who they beat in 2006? They beat the Twins. The Twins, who haven't won a playoff game in 18 straight. <laughs> and I think so like- if you, wait a minute. So if you were a junior in high school, then basically everybody that's a part of the A's core was probably in junior high. Yeah, because Olsen and, and Chapman are... Well, like, Olsen, you know, Olsen may have been in elementary school. He's, I want to say, six years younger than me. Chapman, I think, is five or six. Marcus is 30, or he's going to be 30, so he's only a year younger than me. And then, So Marcus is a soft. So since this streak started, if we went down the line of the roster, Chapman and Olsen are in elementary school. Bassett's your age, so he would have been in high school. Manaya would have been in elementary school. Well, these guys were in elementary school when this started. Yeah, Marcus is 30, so he's a year younger than I am. So he would have been probably a sophomore then. He could have been a freshman, but he, I think he would, might have been a sophomore when I was a junior because he just turned 30 in uh, September 17th. So he might have been a you know. A sophomore, where I turn, I would have turned 18 in two, my senior year. So, yeah, a lot of the guys, you know, Manaya's in his late 20s. Uh, Mike Fires is a couple years older than me, so he he would have been out of high school. Um, who else are we forgetting? Uh, Mark Hanna. Well, Lazardo is in Lazardo's in kindergarten. Yeah, kindergarten. I think Canna was in elementary. Kindergarten. I think Canna might have been. Canna's I think a year younger than me, so he would have been in high school. Uh, in the Bay Area, same with Marcus. So yeah, a lot of these guys were either in high school or younger, <laughs> except for a few guys who were a little like like Fires and stuff that are a little older. That they were, you know, they're all in high school or younger when the the streak started for the A's all right, game one. So, all right, so okay, David. Okay, Soria would have been out of high school. Petit would have been out of high school. Fires would have been out of high school. Would you say you were a junior? I was a, yeah. It was the end of my junior year that that '06 uh, season. So that was the summer so of my. Defense is graduating. Chris Davis is a senior. Mike Miner is a senior. Tommy Lastella and Liam Hendricks. And oh, look at me, guys! The result. You're 31, right? Yeah, I turned 32 in November. So Tommy Lastella, Liam Hendricks, Mark Canna, Chris Bassett, T.J. McFarland, Robbie Grossman are all your age. You're in 80, you're born in 89? 88. Okay, they're all born in 89, so they're all in high school. Let's see, uh, Nate, Nate Orff, Burt Smith, Marcus Simeon, all in high school. Jake Lamb, Piscotti, Trevino in high school. Eh, I think Tony Kemp, Sean Manaya, Chad Pender, Frankie Montas, J.B. Wendelkin, Matt Chapman, all in elementary. Vimal Machine. All in elementary school. Matt Olson in elementary school. Ramon Laureano. Sean Murphy. These guys are all in elementary school. <laughs> and then and then Lazardo was uh, in kindergarten practically because he's what twenty. Yeah, he just turned, he just turned twenty three. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, man. You really can't. It's unbelievable. All right, coming up next, friend of the program.
He does Sunday Night Baseball with Alex Rodriguez. He's a host on MLB Network, and he's a huge A's fan. Matt Vaskersian will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. I am here to make everybody feel better. By the way, the lineup is out. I'll have it for you in a second. Matt Vaskersian is going to join us. And I got some nuggets on Sean Manaya and the A's that I think it's going to make us all feel better. I got one, too, on Manaya with what his uh, record is with run support and what his record is when he goes on six or more days of rest. Um, good stuff. But uh, All right, Simeon's going to lead off. Listella's going to hit second. Then it goes Pender hitting third, playing third. Wow. Hitting fourth, Mark Canna, Chris Davis still in the lineup, hitting fifth because you got a lefty on the mound. Uh, Matt Olson six. Murphy moved up to the seven hole because uh, only catch a rookie catcher after ever to homer in back to back games in the postseason. Ramon Laureano hitting eighth, playing center, and Stephen Piscotti hitting ninth, playing right. Are you ready for Matty V? Matt Vaskersian, friend of the program. Matt, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, how you doing, man? We we are we are doing well. Uh, everything good with you? Well, it'll be better if we can even up the series today. Yeah, yesterday was a rough look. It's like you know, here you go. You you think you exercise the playoff demons that you've had. You get past a very very tough White Sox team. That was a battle. And here you're saying, man, can't wait to get after the Astros. And next thing you know, the Astros big boys all come to play and. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yep. I mean, that, that that was a rough one to watch. I know, I know, man. It's, I was so encouraged after the early lead. And then, and I even, even after they, even after they, you know, got to Bassett, I was like, all right, their bullpen sucks. We're good here. And they, you know, <laughs> they pulled one out of their rear end. It's not going to happen again. You know, we had Robbie Grossman on earlier from Dodger Stadium. And you know what's so great about baseball players is us in the media, especially what we do uh, with a talk show, is we flip out over every every loss. We overplay every win. The fact that these guys really are able to go game by game and be that professional and be able to leave yesterday at yesterday and take care of today today really tells you mentally why the A's have been good and why this team still has a shot with, with it's now a four game series. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well said. It's that's why they do what they do. And we do what we do. We sit here and kvetch about every pitch. And they, <laughs> meanwhile, moving on to the next narrative all the time. I know, I know, you know, you know, the guy that is, um, the guy that's dangerous right now for me is Correa. I'm a, I actually am afraid of him as an ace fan right now because he is, crazy locked on and motivated and the chip on his shoulder is is sizable uh and he's channeled all that into probably being at his best right now after a couple down years i mean he after he struck out in the first inning or his first plate appearance yesterday i think he was yeah second inning he came to the plate it was a uh it was a high slider and he 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 had that look on his face it sounds like ridiculous nonsense that i'm saying here but I'm watching and I'm like, oh man, he knows he should have done damage there. And he kind of looked at Bassett like, 
that's not going to happen again. So what happens in his second at bat? He comes up there. He doesn't get a slider. He gets kind of a lame cutter up and away. Same kind of location itch ish, but not as sharp. And he hits it out. And then the one he hit against Trevino was a, that was a, that was a good pitch, man. That was a four seamer down and in that he got to. So it's not like he's just locked onto one location. He is, he is on right now. And he's the guy that I'm the most afraid of in a lineup full of guys that, you know, strike fear into your heart. Right now, he's the hottest bat. Somebody on their team had to step up and say enough's enough, and we're going to fight back. And they're very lucky because I think they would have been torched if they would have been in front of fans for for 81 games. And I, I think they would have really, really struggled because they struggled with cardboard cutouts let alone having fans screaming at them every game. But it is what it is. And at some point, you know, somebody had to step up and say enough, we're going to fight back. And I think under kind of his leadership, when he normally isn't the leader, you know, last year with the massage getting hurt and all that kind of stuff, it's like Correa now has set the tone for him. Enough's enough. We're going to fight back. Yeah, he kind of – and in fact, like, he's he's so defiant that he's he's – I think risking uh, running afoul of the non-Astros media fan out there. You know, I mean, A's fans, Dodgers fans, um, never going to come around to liking the guy because he's good, and that's a compliment. But, you know, you can't go contesting the rest of the world with this massive chip on your shoulder all the time. He's approaching a free agent year. He's the Of all these shortstops that are going to be on the market after next year, Baez, Story, uh, it's a decorated group. He's the youngest of them. Uh, and You know, if I'm him, I'm just going out there and playing all the time and being as great as he is, and, and you can keep the rhetoric toned down now. Uh, but every time they win a series, you can't have the Astros going, hey, look at us now, huh? You said we couldn't win if we didn't have the signs. Well, what do you think of us now? You can't do that. Just, just win, that's all. Just go out and play. That's my nickel advice for Carlos Correa. Not that anybody asks. <laughs> well, if you were his agent, it's uh, it's very good advice. And the thing for me, which I've been saying, is you know, the A's. We've been talking about you know eight straight times dating back to 2006. They have lost game one of a series, whether it's an actual series or a wild card game, and that's just not the way to handle series. And one of the problems has been hitting with runners in scoring position. Matt, at some point, if you're going to win in the postseason, like what we saw with the Yankees yesterday, like what we saw with the Astros, your big boys got to step up and play big. Yeah, and you know, it's 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 really a it's kind of a global problem too, Chris. I mean, we had uh, at ESPN, we had that dreadful Reds Braves series where the Reds were shut out in back to back games and didn't score a run in 22 innings. And if you if you look even worse than not scoring a run in 22 innings, then the Reds figured out a way to do that. I mean, they had opportunities in that first game, first and second, nobody out in extra innings, bases loaded one out, bases loaded two out, and nobody can come through because the way the game is being taught and the way the game is being played in fly ball revolution, and that's what we're in the midst of, is that there's no reward for contact. There's no reward contractually, big picture, because you get paid for homers. And there's no reward in the short term as far as the game at the micro level. Because of the shift, 
you made hard contact on the ground and you're probably not going to be rewarded because there's going to be a guy there. So what's lost is the station to station game, athletes being athletes, first to third, scoring from first on a ball in the gap. All that's gone because the, the, the bat on ball part of our game, which is at its very fundamental level, what it's based around has disappeared. It's Homer strike out and walk. I mean, that's the way the A's have been built the last number of years. And that's why a guy like DJ LeMahieu is so uber valuable to a, a feast or famine Yankee lineup. Uh, you know, the look, the A's have guys that can certainly hit. I'm not saying they're all strikeout artists, but they're, they're good when they walk. In fact, I was texting your colleague Vince Catronio yesterday. Uh, Vince and I go way back, and he usually takes my – temperature because we're friends and he knows that I get a little nervous uh, in, in advance of A's postseason games. So the text he sent me was, how you feeling? And I said, good. And he said, um, let's see, the A's are 30 and five with at least four walks this year. And I sent him a text back like, this is supposed to make me feel good? This nonsense about walks? <laughs> what, are you, what are you pushing on me, Vince? But, uh, you know, look, the Astros' bullpen's not that great, and they, they were okay yesterday. And, that you know, the, the walk dialogue, the walk narrative really didn't surface yesterday. But, again, I got sidetracked. The big picture here is bat on ball, uh, hitting for average. It's not valued anymore. So what you get is a lot of the garbage that we watch now when nobody can come through with a base hit with the runner on. Yeah, it, it, the numbers are alarming. But I'll tell you, a guy that – uh, I don't know if he's back, but I've liked what I've seen lately. Your impressions of seeing Chris Davis not only leave the yard, but actually getting a base hit too and being productive again. Yeah, man. I, I know that yesterday because I had the, uh, I was listening to your broadcast yesterday with the pictures on. Um, and and I, by the way, I don't take offense to people that do that to me. I know plenty of people do, you know, when, the, when they quote unquote national broadcasters come in. And invariably, they know less about the product than the local guys who become your friends because you listen to them every day. They're in your living room and a part of your life. Um, you know, you listen to what you want. So I had you guys on yesterday. And I know that uh, Ray made the point to Ken and Vinny that Bob Melvin knows his personnel better than anybody and that he had a feeling the matchup was going to be good for Chris despite a really rough year and a half for him. And if that's the Chris Davis that they have moving forward, their lineup is complete. He is the most important guy in there. And if he's that guy, uh, I, I have no doubts that they can get past the Astros and get to an ALCS because when, when he's right, as we saw yesterday, to the opposite field for power, always a threat, especially with runners on. And that's exactly what the A's have needed the last couple of years. Look, they, they might not lose to the Rays, in the wild card game last year, Chris Davis was Chris Davis. Same year before against the Yankees. Um, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of levels there where things could could be better and different. But it's it starts with Chris. He's that good and he's that important when he's right. And you could say for the A's or the Rays. You know, we already know the percentage. You know, whoever wins game one wins seventy two percent of the time. If you then go on and win game two and you're making the opposition have to sweep you three straight, which is so tough to do, especially now we're dealing with these neutral ballparks. I, I got to say, for the A's and the Rays, 
I, I know it's not must win until it's an elimination game, but to me today for the A's and the Rays, this is must win. Agreed. I mean, absolutely right. I think, um, you know, the, the thing where I don't really put as much stock in the past percentages, and you're right about that number, when you win game one, better than 70% chance you're going to win the series based on the past in a five-gamer. But there's no travel day. There's no change of venue day, uh, which means you have to play the five all the way through. And it changes managerial strategy to a great, to a great extent, especially for a team like the Astros, who are really having to cobble together unusual formulas to get 27 outs. They don't trust their entire bullpen the way the A's do. So when you have to take starters and move them into bulk guys and you're trying to minimize appearances of guys that you think might be weak spots or liabilities, it's harder to do that without the day off in between, uh, in between games, uh, what would it be, two and three, and then the other day off, right? So you're missing days off here playing five in a row, and I think that that benefits the A's because they're a deeper pitching staff. So that, that's another reason why the 01 deficit isn't as alarming as it ordinarily would be for, for an ace fan, for me and so for you. what do you got going right now? I, I believe you're going to end up being in the Texas bubble. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm in the bubble. I'm here. Um, not supposed to – we're not supposed to um, sit in the lobby with anybody. We're not supposed to sit around. You can come and go from your hotel room as long as you are masked up and moving you're not supposed to sit and have a cup of coffee even if you're by yourself which i find a little extreme but hey man i want to play by the rules because i don't want to be the guy that breaks the protocol um so we're here we're, we have game two of the uh the braves marlin series tomorrow afternoon then we get on a bus and we drive to arlington and we have game three of the padres dodgers series in arlington the next night so it's kind of an interesting little, you know, 24-hour tour of two division series games. We, MLB Network buys a couple games back from Fox every year in their division series coverage. So we get two, and, you know, there are unusual circumstances, but it, it's going to be fun. No, thank God, because I, I got to tell you, uh, whenever I hear our game's going to be on TBS – I think of like Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch. I'm like baseball on TBS, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> they they do a good job. I mean, all, look, all the rights holders are up against it because, and it, it's almost what I compare it to, Chris, is when you come in doing an NFL package, and you're kind of parachuting into town, and you you might have had I don't know Redskins Vikings the week before, and now you're coming to. San Francisco and you're doing Rams 49ers and the fan base knows more about that game than you do because they've been on that team all year and you're coming in just kind of learning it in six days and that's what I would I would kind of equate covering postseason baseball to for some people uh, I you know I complain about having to do a, a lot of studio work sometimes but it keeps me in it it keeps me watching the entire league it's hard when you're just kind of coming in and trying to learn it uh, in, a, in a kind of a book sense and then and then be conversant on it on TV. Uh, it, it's, it's not easy to do that, but their guys are good. They, all the TBS broadcasters are good and, and we all you know we all do the best we can. 
I, I got to say, three of these matchups, I mean, when you start looking at A's Astros, Yankees Rays, Padres Dodgers, I'm not so sure about Marlins Braves, but these other three, they're so interesting because these teams really don't like each other. They personally, it's not about, it's not about rivalries. It's, it's not Yankees, Red Sox or Cardinals, Cubs or Giants, Dodgers. It's actually the people in the uniforms don't like the guys in the other dugouts. I kind of find that fascinating. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I do too. And by the way, there's, there's plenty of that in the Braves Marlins series based on two players. Jose Urania, who was not healthy to play because he took a comebacker on his final start in the regular season, and Ronald Acuna. Remember, yeah. he dusted Ronald Acuna last year a couple times. Once it was pretty bad, and then he came in there and went in there and tried to get him again at the end of the season, and people were just incredible. I was amazed that he went did it twice to the guy. I don't know what kind of story there is personally with them or if they knew each other previously, but – uh, yeah, there's a little bit of bad blood there. The thing with the Marlins is they, they just aren't supposed to be here, right? So it's hard. I, I think it makes it hard for an opponent because they got nothing to lose, man. The Marlins are playing with house money. I mean, my goodness, they had to replace 18 players the, in the first weeks of the season because of a COVID pandemic. And, I mean, I, I don't even think Don Mattingly knew who half the guys were on the field for, for him, let alone the fans. So the, uh, the Braves, on paper, look like they have a huge advantage because that lineup is loaded. But again, I think the Marlins are a live dog here. I, I don't give them a huge a huge chance, but I do give them a chance to beat uh, Atlanta this week. Yeah, it's not always good when uh, you're Donnie Baseball and you have to pull out the media guide to manage. That's not always a good <laughs> But, uh, hey, we always appreciate having you on. Uh, let's just uh, – we got to keep the faith. Got to keep – and today is a big one. And Sean Mania, as, as I've been saying, the, the, the stars or the top players for the A's, they got to play big today, and it starts with Sean Mania. You, you got to keep Correa off the plate. You got to – I mean, you got to move him. Make him move his feet. Don't let him extend his arms. Don't think he's going to chase sliders anymore because he's too locked in. You got to – Bust him in. That's my call right now, Chris. Bust him in, and I'll be watching. I hope it happens. The key to the game. I love it. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Good talking to you. Matt Vaskersian, MLB Network, ESPN, and big, big-time A's fan, always repping the A's at the MLB Network. Dust Correa, get him off the plate. Key to the game, Cody. I mean, the way he's been, he's been playing for the Astros. It's and Maddie, Maddie V mentioned it. You know, just when he made the comment about, you know, what are they going to say about us now? Just win. He's right. Just win. And Correa being the leader is something I never thought we would see. But he's been the leader of that team. It seems like since the whole situation happened with the Astros back in spring training 1.0 when everything was uh, coming out and they were inter- talking to all the players. So Correa stepping up huge, and, and Matt mentioned that he's a free agent after next season. He's trying to show teams that, you know, if he doesn't stay with Houston, what he can do. And I think he's the key. If you're right, if you're an ace fan, I think he's the one guy that scares you more than most right now because he looks locked in at the plate. I mean, so did George Springer, but Correa. Yeah, Correa hey, Springer. Those two guys are inc- – they're so – both those guys are so good in the postseason, it's it's ridiculous. But they both look locked in. And But I, I'm, I'm with Matt. I think that you have to 
be a little scared if you're a fan watching uh, Correa play uh, these last three games, including against the Twins. I know walks help. I just... And they helped you in the fourth inning in the last game against the White Sox. I just... You gotta hit with runners in scoring position. Can't rely if you if you're gonna walk and not hit, what's it gonna matter? Those guys aren't gonna score. And I understand relying on home runs, and home runs are great, but at some point, you gotta be able to hit. I mean, you're yeah, I mean, you start looking at yesterday's output. Oh, their bullpen stinks. Well, they stunk so bad they went five scoreless. Yeah. With I mean, guys we never heard of. Be let's be honest. Their bullpen stinks so much they went five scoreless. You know how many hits their bullpen gave up yesterday? This bad bullpen? How many hits did they give up yesterday? I would say, what, the A's had eight hits, so one. Zero. That's pretty good. Zero, not one base hit did they give up yesterday, the Astros' bullpen. You know how many walks they had? So how many free passes? None. One. So one guy got on base yesterday late in the game, which would have been Chad Pender in the eighth inning. That's it. So, but it's only one game. And as Robbie Grossman said, you flush it, Go out, win today, and now you win today. Now it's who takes two out of three. That's what it comes down to. But you have to win today. Because if you don't win today, you can still say, hey, we're still in it, but now you got to sweep them three games. And still, even though I know he hasn't thrown the ball great, Zach Zach Grinke's still looming. We'll see if and he goes, have, and you have to think about that. Well, we'll see if he goes past four innings in his next start, and Dusty doesn't pull him out. But he's a guy too that we mentioned it. Or I mentioned it yesterday. Like he's trying to build on a Hall of Fame resume, and if he can't perform in the postseason, I mean, guys like Kershaw who don't perform in the postseason, although he looked uh, really good in his last start against the Brewers. Uh, you know, he, him not being able to perform in the postseason might hurt him. Where a guy like Kershaw, where he struggled. I'm sorry. Uh, hate to break it, people. Kershaw's gonna be a Hall of Famer, regardless of the postseason numbers, because uh, how dominant he's been in the regular season. But for a guy like Granke, he needs to go out and pitch well for them because you can't just keep relying on the bullpen like they have been, you know, like they did yesterday when McCullers didn't go, you know, very long, you know, give him length. So Valdez is an interesting guy. I mean, he had a lot of strikeouts with the curveball this year. He's he had actually had a nice year. He's five and three with a three five seven ERA, seventy six Ks. In 72 thirds innings, he was 0 for 0 and 1 with a 1.29 ERA with nine strikeouts and seven innings versus the A's this year. Um, he's only ever had five career innings at Dodger Stadium, but uh, he's given up some runs. He's a nine ERA and five career innings at Dodger Stadium, but he does have seven strikeouts. So he is a guy that I didn't see this coming for the Astros. To be honest, I thought that he would just be like a bullpen piece, but him and Urquidy and some other guys have stepped up huge for them for a, a team that had 11 players make their major league debut. And I don't remember if you saw this yesterday. I think I sent it but, to but you. But you know what, Cody? None of that matters when you got confidence. Yeah. 
It's true. None of that matters. When, when you start gaining confidence and you start winning games and you start winning series and you start believing in yourself, none of that crap matters. Doesn't matter what you did in the past at Dodger Stadium. Doesn't matter how many guys are nobody. When they're showing up to the ballpark and they're feeling great about themselves and they're comfortable in the moment and they know they they they, they can fall back. I mean, they're falling back on, on la- postseason success from the last couple of years. They're trying to be what the fourth team in the wild card era to make four straight. League championship series, only the Yankees, the Braves, and the uh, Cardinals have done it. They're trying to be the fourth team to do it. I mean, this team, if it gets his swagger back, as they like to say, Stella got her groove back, they can't, they, they, who knows what they could do? I mean, when their star players are coming out and combining for 11 hits and eight RBIs, and they're getting a bullpen throwing up zeros. What does the regular season matter? What does none of that? That's what people need to understand. Hot teams win tournaments. Because everything you did during the regular season is gone. Doesn't matter. That does not matter anymore. And the Astros are a great example. They got by the Twins. They've now won game one. They've won three in a row. They feel great. They're smiling. They're laughing. They're having a good time. They're coming to the ballpark ready to win, ready to fight. It's what do you have to combat that? So we can sit here and say, yeah, their bullpen sucks. Oh, yeah, we're not sure who their starters are. I mean, right now, they could be throwing a lot of different guys at the A's that we really don't know much about them. But if you're not going to hit, if you're going to leave a ton of runners on base, every time you do that, they gain more confidence. So that's why, and especially numbers that are from like last year and the year before, none of that matters. All that matters is today. Yeah, and how you feel it today? That's all that matters. And you mentioned it; their their big their big guys in their lineup are all starting to come into you know round in the form. Bregman, Altuve, Springer. Altuve had an awful year. A guy that a lot of people thought was going to hit 400 this season hit 219, but he's playing well in the postseason. Springer had four hits yesterday. Correa had three hits yesterday. All the their their big guys are starting to lock in, and they know what's at stake here, and they want to prove people wrong, and I and they're doing it right now. Now, the, again, I think the key to slowing down the series is getting the Correa and, and Springer, keeping Springer off base to lead off the game is probably the biggest key. Because how many times did he get on base? Uh, yes, it was what he was four for five, so he was on base. Seems like every time he came up to the plate, he got a hit. So you got you got to get these guys out and make the other guys in their lineup like the Maldonados and the Kyle Tucker's beat you, and then you got to score. You got to hit with guys in runners in scoring position because that's been the Achilles' heel for the A's all season. All right, I have a stat that's going to make you feel better because I want to make us all feel better. And Dave O'Brien, play-by-play man for the Red Sox, but he's calling this game for ESPN. Will join us next. What does he expect for game two? We're going to find out right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. 
The play-by-play man calling the game today for ESPN Radio and also the voice of the Boston Red Sox and had a very accomplished career, has a lot of great things on his resume, is going to be joining us in moments. Are we calling him, Cody? Yeah, I'm going to call him here. Give out your stat, and then I'll give him a call. No, I want I want Dave to be a part of this. Okay, well, I'll call him then. I want him to be a part of what I think, because I've already told you, when Mania starts a day game, the A's are 15 and three over the last three seasons. Hello, Dave. How you doing, Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's? Hi, Chris. How you? How are you doing? How are things? Uh, well, after Game One, we're a little skittish right now. We're trying to recover and uh, get ready for Game Two. I just uh, got off a Zoom call with uh, Bob Melvin, so. Uh, he seemed pretty cool. He seemed like he was he was not panicked in the least, so that was good. All right, so I I, I, I gave out the stat earlier because I'm trying because you know uh, our kind of postseason history recently. You know, A's fans get a little scared when all of a sudden you get behind the eight ball early. So I gave him this: oh, yeah. Sean yeah. Mania and the A's are 15 and three day games the, the last three seasons. But I got this one for you. When the A's lose, the game after they are ninety-three and fifty-seven the last three seasons. So they've been a resilient team after a loss. I'm trying to be glass half full here. That that must be why Melvin doesn't look like he's breaking a sweat. Uh, so you know he's used to winning game and used to coming from behind. So uh, hopefully that'll work. I had the A's winning the series, so I hope they do. You know, the whole thing yesterday watching that game in the sixth inning where, you know, the two things that let the A's down are their strength, which is defense and bullpen. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I was. I mean, the error by Simeon was huge. That was a that was the gate opener at that time. And then, you know, the bullpen, which has been a backbone of this team, I think arguably the best bullpen uh, in, in the playoffs remaining. And did not perform well. And conversely, the Astros, and they did have a hot hand with their bullpen. Dusty had a very hot hand going in, but they continued to throw the ball well. So, yeah, those two things were really, really shocking, especially the way Simeon's improved his defense from his earlier years. You don't expect him to boot that ball. But, you know, little things like that become huge plays in the postseason, as you know very well. You know, one of the keys that we had going into the game was you got to get to that, you know, get McCullers out and get to that Astro bullpen and, uh, wow, be be a little afraid of what you asked for because uh, I know I was shocked. I think you got to be a little shocked. Five innings of scoreless baseball by that bullpen. They didn't give up a hit and only one walk. Yeah, and and that's the key, obviously, for the A's. They work off ball four. They need guys to come in or start and walk a few guys. And, look, that's what happened early in the game. And, you know, walk a few, you get a home run, all of a sudden you're up two or three to nothing. I know the A's win a lot of games that way. But, you know, Paredes came in. He threw the ball exceptionally well for them. You know, Presley's very good at the back end. Javier's a, a guy who's done it. So I think that uh, probably we, we underestimated how effective their bullpen was going to be because I think in the light of how good the A's has been, it looked like the second best. In game one, it was the best bullpen. 
Well, if you watch the two games yesterday, uh, ball was flying out. Do you remember back in the day when Dodger Stadium and Petco Park were pitchers' ballparks? I do. I grew up thinking every game at Dodger Stadium ended one to nothing or two to one. Yesterday was unusual. There actually was a game earlier this season at Dodger Stadium where eight home runs were hit. I think that has more to do with the way the balls are being made today, but Day baseball, when it was 91 degrees like yesterday, we thought the ball would be fine. I didn't think we'd see six home runs. I didn't think the home run would determine the winner of that game. I really did think the bullpens would determine the winner of that game. I didn't see 10 to 5 and 16 hits coming for the Houston Astros yesterday. But, you know, we very well might get more of the same in game two. Well, it's like the game plan for Dusty. You know, today he's going to need some innings out of Valdez because I know he doesn't have the confidence in his bullpen. And I can see why McCullers and Valdez were the guys to go early because you're looking at a situation where the A struggle against curveballs. Valdez throws more curveballs than anybody. So I can see why Grinky's not going in this game. But how important is it the A's just stay with the game plan and have to believe once you're going to get to that bullpen, then the A's are going to have success? I think that's exactly right. You know, talking with Bob Melvin today just five minutes ago he he felt that way and you know somebody asked him about how the why are the A's so good in day baseball games yesterday aside and he said look we play a lot of day baseball games and we've got a good team that's the reason it plays out that way you know it comes to Valdez he's a guy who does not give up the home run ball you know he's already made one start against the A's in his career uh he took the loss but he pitched very well seven innings gave up one run uh, he struck out nine guys in that game, so he's going to be very tough. And I think the interesting part of this matchup, for me, is more on the other side. And Sean Manaya, and when he's talking about a retribution game, because you know he gave up three home runs last year in the wild card game to Tampa Bay, he was really, uh, you know, really, really disillusioned over his performance. You know, he got on a plane and he went to Asia to try and shake it off. Back in the day when you could do that and actually jump on a plane and go someplace else, I think in Manaya's case. He's looking at this as a retribution game, and that could be a great motivator for him today. Yeah, I'm assuming you're still in New England for this game, correct? I'm actually in Bristol, yeah. I'm in uh, Bristol, Connecticut, the ESPN studios. We're calling the games off monitors uh, the same way I did the Red Sox all season long. Uh, The major difference for me is the pitching is a whole lot better watching these playoff teams than what I had to see all season (laughs) long in Boston. But, yeah, we're, we're calling the games off monitors. It's a very strange experience. There's no question about it. Well, yeah, they had an article on you, uh, Boston.com, where the title was, The Red Sox won't be busy this fall, but Dave O'Brien will. <laughs> we were, we, yeah, busy and, and actually prepping for football on ESPN this weekend, which will also be done, in my case, out of a studio in Bristol. So it's, it's a strange new world, Chris. I mean, the way we're broadcasting sports right now, I don't want to make it a habit. I'm, I love to be at the stadium or at the ballpark. I did not put one foot in a major league ballpark all season long, all 60 games of it, which was just a bizarre experience I don't want to repeat. So I hope we get the vaccine and everyone gets back to a normal life uh, in very quick order. Yeah, as much as I love my wife and my kids, uh, doing uh, all of these games from my home studio, it's just uh, after a while, it gets really old and you really miss it. By the way, which one's tougher to do from a monitor? Is it football or is it baseball? I think football is 100 times more difficult because your partner is in another state. 
your spotter is in another state, your stats guy's somewhere else, your producer and director may not even be together because there are no trucks going to sites. But I think the game, because you've got a lot more activity on the field, baseball, we're used to, you know, here are your sight lines. The pace of the game is different. I think the pace of football makes it tremendously difficult to do off television. And you really can't see everything. You may want to see a head coach talking to a quarterback on the sideline. You may not get that shot. The camera guys might be looking at something else as opposed to when you're in a booth, you can look at anything you want. So I would say absolutely football is, is far more difficult. Uh, two teams that you know very well in the New York Yankees and the Rays and what happened down at Petco Park in San Diego where the Yankees just too powerful and in the end uh, they're just separated with, 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 with some late-inning heroics. Uh, what do you think about that series as the Rays – kind of dominated that series during the regular season, but the Yankees were never fully healthy. How do you see this one? In many ways, it reminds me of the series we're doing between the A's and the Astros. A lot of bad blood. They had the same thing with the Yankees and the Rays. You had one team dominating the season series, which the A's did, and you mentioned the Rays did. And I think this series, and I had the A's winning the series in five, I think this series goes to the the Yankees. I had them in the first round against Cleveland. They look like a different team to me. A different team than the team I saw in the regular season because all those guys were beat up. You know, Judge missing time and Stanton missing time and all the all these key guys. Now they're healthy again. You know, take out Garrett Cole for a second. Just talk about the mashers in that lineup. They are scary right now, and they look like a team on a mission to me. I think this series goes to the Yankees pretty quickly. In fact even given how good Tampa Bay starting pitching is, they just look like they're playing at a different level right now. Yeah, that's, you know, we, I was talking about that to start the show today, about how, you know what, when the bright lights come on, you got to play big. And the way the A's have not hit with runners in scoring position, and the way they've, you know, the, the, the demons of the past, I mean, you look at the Yankees, beat up, now healthy, the way they took down Cleveland, which was the number one pitching staff in the American League, Tampa's number two. I mean, Yankees guys are playing big in the big games, and that's what you got to do to move on in October. Yeah, they are. And, you know, I'm pretty close to the manager of the Yankees, which shouldn't be known in Boston, but he's a friend <laughs> of mine. He's a guy I broadcast with a lot, Aaron Boone. I think, you know, he, he's very good at reading the pulse of his team. And we, he talks about, you know, we haven't done anything yet. Even beating the Indians meant nothing. Now everybody's back. He's got all of his horses going. As he likes to say, they're savages in the batter's box, very famously. I think that's exactly what's going on there right now. They've got a sense of themselves. And in a playoff series, I think you're onto something there. You have to rise to the big moment. The A's have to do that today because if they don't do it today, this may be a quick series the other way. And I think they have to come out get the early lead pitch the way they did uh, getting the early lead yesterday. They just didn't pitch well enough to hold on to it. That script better change today. Uh, let's end on this. I'm sure you've gotten a chance to talk to Dusty Baker. What's he saying about Zach Greinke right now? You know, they're not really high on Zach Greinke. He's not throwing the ball well. Uh, he's got an ERA around five and a half over the last, you know, three weeks. He didn't pitch well in game one. Uh, of their series of playoffs. I think that he's a guy they're a little bit concerned about. And, you know, he's a different character. He's a different sort of cat. He's had some issues in the past. I think he's a guy that, you know, in this circumstances can certainly get back to Zach Cranky, throwing a lot of strikes, having a lot of quick innings. 
But I think what Dusty said the other day, he labors out there. You know, he's throwing a lot of pitches. That's really not his style. So I think, you know, as you haven't even seen him yet, won't see him today, first two games of the series, that's not a good sign for them. But I think they look at their offense right now as, as starting to click sort of the way the Yankees are. Not in that same class. I'm not saying they've got guys who had hit, you know, who had the potential to hit 40 or 50 home runs up and down the lineup. The Yankees have several of those guys. But now you've got, you know, Springer's gotten hot. Correa is hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's made some adjustments. I think they look at their offense as the driving force behind that team right now, not so much their rotation. Dave, always a pleasure. We appreciate it. Be safe, and let's talk soon. Look forward to it, Chris. Talk to you soon. Dave O'Brien, play-by-play for the Red Sox, nationally, though, for ESPN, covering this game, and, of course, all the stuff he does with ESPN. He's one of the best, Commander. He's one of the best. I'm glad that he's on the call because he he has a great voice, and his analyst is uh, a guy that we both like a lot, and that's Jim Bowden. So I'm glad that if you're listening on if you're not listening to Ace Cast, which you should be with Ken Vincent Ray, but if you're not and you're listening to ESPN Radio, you got Dave O'Brien and Jim Bowden. So good to good to know you have that, and also I love that he says that people in Boston probably wouldn't like that I. Um, I'm friends with Aaron Boone. That just shows you how much hatred there is between those two cities. And it just, you know, if, some, if people didn't understand that that hatred's real, oh, it's real. It's kind of like oh. a, Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny because a lot of people just think it's like a sports thing. It's, it's not just a sports thing. It's just I think it's overall. And not everyone, not every fan base is very high on the uh, Red Sox or Yankee fans. So it just, that just shows you that even fans can hate the broadcaster for being friends with the manager of the Yankees. But the one stat I wanted to tell you, Shamanaya pitching on six plus days of rest, and his career is eight and three with a two seventy RA and sixteen starts. It's pretty good when he has six or more days of rest. Now he hasn't pitched in thirteen days, so we'll see. But that's pretty good for eight and three. Eight and three with a two. Oh, I have more nuggets. I'm not done. I'm just trying to space them out to try and make A's fans feel better going into this game. Yeah, that's a good thing because there's other there's other stats on here too with Manaya that I have when it comes to run support, which we can probably get into later. Um, well, you know what I have right here, I'll just tell you. What do you think his record is when he gets between zero and two runs scored for him as a team? And this is in 26 starts. So between zero and two runs in 26 starts, what do you think his record is? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say it's not very good. He's one in 21 when he <laughs> doesn't get – more than uh, between zero and two runs of support. But when he gets six or more runs of support, he's 23-0 and in 36 starts. So those are pretty good. And then between three and five, he's 15-10, and 10, and his ERA is under four also. So score some runs for Sean Manaya, and, you ha- you, and history will tell you from his baseball reference page that uh, he wins when he gets runs. Um, that's usually what happens when you score runs. You usually win games. So if you don't score any runs, that's why he's 1-21. So – Hopefully they score some runs against Framber Valdez, who's only making his second start of the year against the A's. Well, you know what they do say, if you score more runs than the other team, you'll win the game. I've heard that somewhere before. It's a noble concept, but. Because if you don't score more runs than the other team, you can't win. That that is a fact. Uh, And And there will be no ties in the postseason. Yeah, not like like I said, we mentioned earlier. It's not like whenever Ernie Banks played doubleheaders and the Cubs had ties back in the day. But 
some of the ace hitters against Valdez, small sample size theater, as you want to, as people like to say. Sean Murphy's 0 for 4. Matt Olson's 0 for 3. Lestel and Lamb have never faced him. Marcus is 2 for 4 with a home run. Robbie Grossman's 0 for 4. Mark Canna's 3 for 5. Steven Piscotti, 1 for 3 with a double. Ramon Laureano's 1 for 4. And Chris Davis is 1 for 5. And one other news, uh, Bob Melvin said he won't announce the starter for Game 3 until later, uh, until after the game today. Yeah, because they got that, that, you know, if they win, they'll probably go X. If they lose, they'll probably go Y. I would bet that it's not one guy that, hey, win or lose, this guy's going game three. Now, I could be wrong, but I just have a feeling if they win, they'll choose somebody. If they lose, they'll go a different route and choose somebody else, someone with a little more experience. If I had to bet, I could see them going Lazardo tomorrow if they win. If they lose, I could see them going Frankie Montas. Could be out of left field. I could be completely wrong. That's just a guess. I don't think you're going to – if your season is on the line, I don't think you're going to go Jesus Lazardo. I think Montas is the right play. I think you're right with that. I think he looked really good in relief the other day. He looked really good in his last start on the season. He had, he had the 13 strikeouts. Uh, he had that bat start against Houston earlier this year, but he looks like he's starting to round himself back to hopefully what he was when the season started and all of last year when he pitched really well before and after the suspension. So I think I'd go with him as well. And maybe bring Lazardo out of the pen at some point. Uh, but I think he's probably going to start if you win today. He's probably going to start either game three or game four. But I, I still want to see Mike Fires pitch against the Astros. I just want the, I just want to see him get a chance to face the team that you know that he pits for, and he, I just want to see him face them. And if that's if you get to that situation, even if it's out of the bullpen, just give him a. You can't have him sitting around all you know for like we have with Manaya thirteen straight days. So it'd be good to get him in at some point, but. Uh, I, I would definitely go with Montas if, uh, depending on how today's game. But he be the, he probably is a logical guy with your season online if you don't win today. Robert Ford, play-by-play man for the Houston Astros, is going to join us at eleven, and I'm glad Dave agreed with me on one thing. And it's how I started the show. It's how I feel. Clevenger on NLDS roster to start Game One. Yeah. Padres uh, news. No Lamette though, but Clevenger to start Game One looks like that trade paid off for AJ Preller. Well, so far, we'll see what he gives you with that kind of a bum elbow. A bum elbow. We'll see. Um, I'm glad he agreed with me. Of the hey, listen, in this lineup today, you got to show up and you got to play big. And I know a lot of people go, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means you can't be going 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Even if even if you, some guys hit some home runs, you're going to need more than that. If you watched the Yankee game yesterday, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They had a bunch of guys hitting. 
bunch of guys being productive. The Stars got to come out and play. You're going to need Marcus and Latami and Pender and Canna and Davis and Olsen and down the line. Be productive. They left runners on yesterday. They had a chance, really, when you look at it. They had a chance in the third. They really had a chance in the fourth. Think about that. They get the leadoff home run from Olsen. You now got them on the ropes, man. You got them on the ropes. Because they came out and they scored three in the fourth. Right? Home run, base hit, infield hit, home run. So they tie the game at 3-3. You come out, hit a home run, boom, 4-3. Then a base hit, then a double. And you got an opportunity, right? to really get the line moving and to answer their three spot and kind of put them in a big hole. And what do you do? Strike out, ground, infield ground out, the infield was in, strike out again, no hard contact. Brutal at bats. You could have answered their three spot with a big crooked number. And how much does that take the win out of their sails? But you didn't, and they took the wind out of your sails in the sixth inning. Their big boys came to play. Can't say it enough. Springer, Altuve, Bregman, Correa, 11 hits, 8 RBIs yesterday. That's what their big boys did. You've got to match them. You go down today, I mean, I can't even imagine what the postgame show is going to be like today's clubhouse show you go down today. I, I can't even imagine. I can't, I can't, I, I literally, I can't even, I can't even think about that. I might be calling in sick. I need a victory. By the way, Oakland is 12-3 and three in road games after allowing 10 runs or more in the last three seasons. Now, obviously, this is a neutral site, but as of right now, we are calling this uh, a home game. So 12-3 and in road games after allowing 10 runs. Even though it's a home game, this is a road game. So there's a bunch of these stats that are out there right now about how this team is resilient. Will they need to be? And by the way, uh, Scott Emerson, Sean Murphy, and Sean Mania got to figure out a way to keep George Springer from jacking up your pitch count and being on almost every time yesterday. Like I said, every time you look up, it looked like it was like pretty much Springer was on base every single time. He was four for five in the game. He he is a great – when the postseason comes around, he becomes a completely different player. He has what? I think he has the most home runs in Astros franchise history for, for the postseason now. They have, I mean, when you think of the Astros, you think a lot of their guys like Nolan Ryan and stuff and Bagwell and Biggio. But, I mean, Springer is a completely different guy in the postseason, and that's why he's going to be a guy that's really sought after. He's not going to get the money he thought he was going to get because we don't know what the offseason is going to look like. But if he doesn't stay in Houston, he's going to be a guy that a team that's trying to win is going to sign, put in center field. He'll, he'll do well in the regular season, but you know how well he's going to be. he hits in the postseason. And you got to keep him off base and make the other guys – like I said in the lineup, beat you. The Maldonados, the 
Kyle Tucker, yeah, he had a lot of RBIs during the season, but he's still young. Redick, the guys that aren't really hitting right now for the Astros, and you can't let those big boppers, including Altuve, who's starting to hit a little bit better after the 219 during the regular season, beat you in this series. And you got to get to that Astros bullpen that, again, like we make, you know, we joked about saying, you know, Matt, Matt Vaskersen said, well, yeah, they'll get to the Astros bullpen. They stink, and, and they've, been, they've been shutting people down. Nine and two-thirds scoreless innings uh, recently for them, so – I'm so concerned about Granky as just a baseball fan. He, uh, everyone's right. He, <laughs> he just. Do you hear what Dave O'Brien said about your guy? He's just not good right now. It, it's true. He's not. He's, he's not. It, it, Dusty, you know, it may be a point, and Dusty has the kind of pull. Dusty may keep him on ice. I mean, if you don't think you can win with him. You know, I was thinking he's got to go game three, but now after hearing Dave O'Brien talking to Dusty. And Dusty doesn't have really any confidence in him. Are we for sure going to see him start a game in this series? I mean, it's going to be tough. What if the series – say the series goes five, and you're, are you throwing Granky out there for game five? Or are you going to give it to McCullers? It's an interesting question for, for Dusty. Like, are you going to go with your proven guy who doesn't have the greatest postseason numbers <laughs> in his career, but he's a guy that has the track record in the regular season – or are you going to go with someone else that you trust more because you can't trust Granky right now? It's it's going to be interesting to see what they do because game three, I mean, it could be Arquiti that starts game three because that hasn't been released yet, but he could be the guy that pitches tomorrow for the Astros. And then maybe Granky goes another day if, if it, you know, depending on how the series goes. Well, why don't we ask Robert Ford, play-by-play man of the Houston Astros, next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Here's a question. Remember we could get the other team's game notes on MLB.com? What happened to that? It's a good question. I might be able to find those for you. Um, sometimes they're on the the uh, website, I think, that we use for different stuff. So, uh, like I was saying, um, I might be able to find those for you on I think it's the, the website we use for different A's stuff. So I'll look and see if I can find it on there for you and try to send it oh, to you. Oh, opponent's game notes. All right, let's go. Astros and A's will continue their American League Division Series today at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, normally we get these notes at the ballpark. But life has dramatically, dramatically changed. Robert, it's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, well, we're a little shaky after game one, but I'm sure you guys absolutely loved it. Yeah, but, you know, it's game one, right? So uh, we'll see uh, what happens the next, you know, possibly four games. You know, we just had Dave O'Brien on, who's calling the game for ESPN. You know Dave, who does the Boston Red Sox. And he said something that, you know, I, I was talking about how Zach Greinke surprised that, you know, we're not going to see him in game one or game two. But he said, you know, when they spoke with Dusty Baker, Dusty Baker is not thrilled with the way that Zach has been throwing the baseball. We'll get to Valdez in a moment. When do you think we'll see Zach Greinke in the series? Um, I mean, I think uh, at this point, probably game three or four would be my guess. Um, but I mean, you, you look at the way things have lined up, you know, going with McCullers in game one, he, he'd been pitching pretty well. Uh, like you mentioned, Dusty said the same thing to me uh, about Granke uh, when we did our manager show 
uh, the other day that, you know, going with the guys who have pitched the best uh, at this point. And, you know, Framber Valdez going today, he's made one start against Oakland, pitched great, even though he got a loss. And Jose Urquidy, uh, you think about him, he's a, he'll probably pitch either game three or game four uh, as well. Probably be he and Grinky in some order for those two, you would think. And Urquidy has been great in his two starts against the A's, albeit a small sample. Uh, but still, I think if you're the Astros, you have to be encouraged by that. So I think Dusty has shown that he's willing, especially in the postseason, to go with uh, what he feels like are the hot hands uh, and the best matchups. And I think he feels like for games one and two that that's McCullers and, and Valdez against his ace team. And I totally understand why Valdez. The A's have struggled against breaking balls this year. He's thrown the most curveballs of anybody in baseball. So when you see this matchup and you look at the facts and the data, it totally makes sense why Dusty is throwing this left-hander. You know, and I think it's also too, and I was actually looking at this a little earlier. So the A's were, I believe it was 11-3 and against uh, left in games started by left-handed starters during the regular season. But then you look a little closer at the numbers. Their numbers against left-handed pitching weren't all that great. They were in the bottom third of the league and OPS and slugging and batting average against left-handed pitching. So I think, you know, you may look at the record when they face left-handed starters and it's really gaudy, but then you, you dive deeper in the numbers and realize that, you know, the A's have not been very good against left-handed pitching. So I think uh, Frombers are a pretty good matchup for this A's team. And you mentioned the breaking ball too. I think that's a big part of it as well. You know, the one thing that was a key for the A's was to get to that Astros bullpen and what the Astros bullpen yesterday was nothing but spectacular. They did not give up a hit. They only gave up one free pass and one walk. Uh, talk about what you've seen in that bullpen from the twin series to what you saw yesterday. Well, the twin series, because it was just, you know, potentially three games in three days, Dusty was able to use starters out of the bullpen. So Framber Valdez in game one threw five innings out of the bullpen. It was great uh, following Grinky in that game. And then in game two, Christian Javier threw three innings that were scoreless. That was a big key in the in the Astros win in game two of that wild card series. Obviously, you can't do that uh, in the uh, in the in the five games and five days ALDS this year. Only Brooks Raley and Ryan Presley among the the quote unquote true relievers uh, that the Astros have in their pen pitched in those two games in Minnesota. Uh, so I mean, the good news is the bullpen's rested. The bad news is they didn't pitch for four days and actually longer than that. Uh, you know, although they had sim games and things like that uh, during the, the layoff between the two series. But I think like a, like any team, you look at every team's bullpen numbers, regardless of how good or bad they are, if they can get to their two or three best relievers, they have a really good chance of winning. And that's what the Astros were able to do. And only Paredes going the two innings was big. Of course, that probably means he's unavailable today for the Astros. You know, Ryan Presley obviously getting the ball to him in the ninth, even though it was a non-safe situation. That was a, a big key. Uh, Blake Taylor has been one of the better relievers for the Astros all year. So the Astros were able to get the ball to their better relievers. And when you do that, your chances of winning are pretty good, regardless of what your overall bullpen numbers may be. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, 16 and a third of the 18 innings against the Twins were, yes, starters or starters in relief, but those starters were still in relief. And Javier came in again yesterday it's kind of like what the Washington Nationals were able to do last year and it really ends up being a mindset and I know our pitching coach has talked about this whether you're labeled a starter or you're not 
it's all hands on deck. Everybody come to the ballpark ready to pitch. And that's really kind of the smart way to go through it now. And I could see Dusty Baker doing that. No matter what you're labeled as, I could be putting you at any time, be ready to go in the next four games. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, we've seen that postseasons over the years. You mentioned what the Nationals did last year. But, you know, in the postseason, everybody understands that the rules are a little different and that the phone could ring in the first inning, uh, even in a situation where it normally wouldn't ring in that in the first inning in the regular season. So uh, I think all these guys know that, and you see all the starters in the bullpen. I noticed Mike Miner, obviously, who got into the game yesterday, Jesus Lasardo, they were in the A's bullpen for that entire game yesterday um so i mean that's just just what you see in the postseason i still think it's going to be interesting with the division series and also with the lcs because there are no off days i mean that changes the calculus because that's why teams are able to do that so successfully the last several years that's why the nationals were able to win the World series and use their starting pitchers the way they did last year out of the bullpen but it's a lot harder to do that so i think uh you think about today's start i think for both romber valdez and sean manaya it's going to be imperative for both of them to get pretty deep in this game. Because, uh, I mean, the A's used, what, seven relievers yesterday. Uh, the Astros probably are without Paredes today, you would think. Christian Javier may not be available. He hasn't pitched back-to-back games uh, in the big leagues at this point. So I think that, um, you know, it's I think a big key for today's game for both teams is their starter getting pretty deep into the ball game and, you know, get to get into a situation where maybe you only have to use two or three relievers. Yeah, it, it, it really is amazing when you look at a starter going deep for like the A's this year. I know it's not going to shock you, but if an A starter goes at least six innings, they're 21 and one. And it's, it just goes to show you if you get any type of length, even if an A starter goes five, they're 31 and 10. I mean, if you get any talk about that, what you've seen this year from, from the different teams, if your starter gives you any kind of length, there really is a good chance you're going to win the game. I mean, it makes such a big difference. Um, and again, it doesn't matter how good or bad your bullpen may be. Uh, I mean, the Astros this year, I mean, part of the, the big key uh, for the Astros this season with the rotation, you think about the emergence of Framber Valdez, not just that he pitched well, but he was able to pitch deep in the games. He had a stretch where he had, I believe it was four games in a row or five of six where he, um, he was able to go at least seven innings. And uh, it's almost like he's a throwback uh, when you do that, when that used to be pretty commonplace. But, I mean, that's, been, that's why he's been such a big key for the Astros this year, because he's pitched well and because he's gone deep in the games. And I really think, and I didn't ask Dusty this today when I talked to him earlier, but I really think that a big reason why Dusty felt comfortable, you know, using an Ole Paredes for two innings and kind of employing his bullpen the way he did yesterday and employing them early in the game yesterday was because he knew Fromber was pitching today and there's a really good chance that Fromber's going to get into the sixth or seventh inning. So when I think about you and where you're calling the game, because it's so odd, now you're going to have a series starting there in Houston. You're calling the game in Los Angeles. Uh, were you doing it for Minute no, Maid Park? I'm actually, in, I'm actually in Houston. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. You so, have a series starting in Houston. Are you doing it from a studio or are you doing it from Minute Maid Park? So we're doing them from uh, AT&T Sportsnet Southwest, or TV network, the Astros TV network. We're doing it from their studios, which are in downtown Houston, about five minutes from Minute Maid Park. 
Um, because like you said, the division series on the National League side, you know, the, the Braves and the Marlins, they're starting up today. So we got kicked out of Minute Maid Park. That's where we've been, we've been doing every road game, every postseason game was from Minute Maid Park. But with the division series there, uh, we can't be there. So, uh, yeah, they, they fortunately are, are good friends at AT&T Sportsnet Southwest uh, have taken care of us. So, yeah, yesterday was our first game there, and it, it worked out pretty well. Wow, crazy times. You and Steve Sparks, just absolute crazy times. Are 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 they talking – I know we've heard about potential fans in the stands in Arlington for the World Series. Uh, what Are they talking about maybe po- possible fans in Houston for this series? No, I know they've just talked about the LCS and the World Series. Um, so, and Houston's only hosting a, a division series because uh, the NLCS will uh, also be in Arlington. So, yeah, there won't be any fans. Uh, at, at Minute Maid Park. I think several of the teams have, like, families who are traveling with them, who, you know, quarantined. I know the A's had that. Um, so you may see some of them. But other than that, I don't think there are going to be any fans at those games. Well, I got to tell you, yesterday was uh, was a rude awakening for a lot of people because a lot of your big guns who haven't had ha- had great years, uh, they're, they're seeing, they're, they're, they seem to get their groove back yesterday, and I'm sure that was uh, really good for a lot of Astros fans to see. Yeah, and I mean, that was one of the big questions. And one of the things I really wondered about all year when you see Jose Altuve struggling and Yuli Gurriel struggling, and, you know, Carlos Correa not hitting for power, uh, and, you know, there were several times when I wondered to myself during the year, like, is this team just waiting to flip a switch? I mean, especially once it became pretty obvious that they were going to be in the playoffs. It was going to be pretty hard for them not to finish uh, in second place uh, and to drop out of that out of that spot. So, uh, you know, it made me wonder, like, are they are they just coasting or are they just waiting to flip a switch? And I don't know that that's necessarily true. And that can be dangerous when you think, oh, well, we'll get to the postseason and we'll figure it out. Because uh, sometimes it, that doesn't happen. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it was encouraging to see Altuve hit a ball the other way yesterday with his first hit um, because that's something we haven't seen a whole lot of. We've seen him pulling off a lot of balls, and we saw that in his first bat in yesterday's ball game. I mean, it looked like he was trying to, to pull every pitch uh, into this left field stand. And so pitchers have been exploiting that by pitching him away because he can't get to anything away. Uh, but yesterday he made an adjustment and was able to drive a pitch to right field. So we'll see if that continues. That's going to be really significant. And, you know, Carlos Correa, he said after the game yesterday, he had been working with hitting coach Alex Centron uh, during the last regular season series in Arlington on some adjustments that would allow him to, to hit for more power. They went back and looked at his swing from 2015 when he was rookie of the year and made some adjustments based off of that. And, I mean, the results obviously have been really good. Uh, three homers in the last two postseason games. Uh, you know, Yuli Gurriel still isn't, hasn't really gotten going. And I think that that's something that's going to need to happen for the Astros to, to get to where they want to go. Uh, but yeah, obviously encouraging the, the, what the Astros did yesterday, but again, it's one game. Robert, great stuff. We always love having you on the program. Have a good call today and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Chris. Robert Ford, play-by-play man for the Houston Astros. And that just tells you right there. How big Shamanaya is in this game today. How Shamanaya has to go out and attack these hitters. No free passes. And as Mark Kotze said, the key to the postseason 
is protect the 90 feet. You can't give away 90 feet at any point. You make that mistake, it can come back to bite you. As it did yesterday in the sixth inning with an error, followed up by four runs. Now, Simeon need to make that play? Sure. But does then everybody need to just give it up and be throwing the ball right down the middle? I mean, basically everything was almost like a meatball up there. When Delkin has to be better, Deekman has to be better, that's just reality. You can't go out there and give up a four spot like that. Their bullpen didn't. You're calling your bullpen a strength. That's great. But they've got to be so much sharper than that, especially when you had you had days off. Everybody had a few days off to recoup and be ready for game one. I'm calling game two a must win. And I need to see some length out of Sean Mania today. I do not want to see one of these going out there, Bob Melvin, to get him in the second or get him in the third. Hell, I don't want to see him in the fourth. You got to get at least five or six. And go out there and pitch with that kind of confidence that you did in September and the last time you faced the Houston Astros. And and knock their confidence out. Because it is just one game. If you go out and start throwing up a bunch of zeros against them and get your confidence rolling and get your bats rolling and get to that recipe, get a lead to the bullpen, have the bullpen close it out and remind the Astros of why the A's have had a better year. Get the lead to the bullpen, have the bullpen close it out, Liam Hendricks in the end, then you tie up this series at 1-1, and now it's a best of three. It's two out of three. And they've got a lot of, we don't know who you're going to start. See, that's the good thing about the A's. The A's have all kinds of options. Now, they're they're going to wait on their options, but it kind of sounds like, you know, in, in a perfect world, Dusty Baker's not even starting Zach Grinky, Cody. Sounds like he doesn't even want to have him out there. Yeah, it seems like he's becoming more of a liability than anything. And that's, again, like I, I mentioned a few times, this is a guy that's trying to build on a Hall of Fame, make a case for the Hall of Fame. Now, I, I, we've already debated this so many times. I, I, I think he has the numbers to get in already, but he's not been Ooh. great in the postseason where like a guy like Kershaw doesn't really matter. He's going to get in because he's just been dom- the most dominating pitcher in the sport for the last 10-plus years. But if you're not going to be able to throw Granky, if you don't have faith in Granky to pitch in this series, you're literally your ace because the other guys are all younger. And, you know, McCullers is coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, that's that's a that's a big plus for the A's that you're going to get Granky. You're not, you might not see Granky. Now, I think we will. I think maybe Dusty will, you know, throw him later in the series, like we said. If, you're, if there's a game five and you're not starting Zach Granke, if he starts one of the games prior, that's a lot of pressure to put on some of these young Astros pitchers, but – I think he, we will see him, but not having faith in him is just – it's weird to hear someone say that they don't have faith in Zach Greinke, but he's been he's been bad, whereas Sean Manaya, you know, going back to his start against the Giants yeah, in August. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, but his start in Minnesota, he only gave up one run. Yeah. It was four innings, one run. Now, he did have some walks, 
But it's not like, because I was watching that game, and it was kind of shocking that he took him out that early. That was the shocking thing. But obviously, that speaks volumes. Uh, but this is how his September went. Six innings, three runs against Texas. Six innings, four runs against the A's. Five innings, five runs against the Dodgers. Five innings against Arizona, three runs. Four and two-thirds innings, gave up three. So the month of September, he had a 6.08 ERA and was one and three. So that was his September. But his start against the Twins, now remember that bases loaded in the first inning, and it looked like he could be in trouble, but uh, he only gave up one run in four innings. Yeah, and the Astros, the Astros on the in the twenty twenty season and the regular season and the games he started, they were four and eight, now five and eight if you include that win because they won game one against the Twins. But he hasn't been good now. If you go back to the middle of August where Sham and I pitching against the Giants, every game since then, so every game since August fifteenth he's appeared in, he's gone at least five innings and he's given up no more than three runs in any of those starts. So he's pitched a lot better. His ERA going into that start against the Giants was at seven point six five. And, his, and going into his last start against the Dodgers, where he gave up three runs over six innings, it's at 4.5. So his ERA went down significantly. He's pitched very well. He gave up two runs, one run, one run, one run, one run, three and three. So he's pitched a lot better uh, since August 15th, and that's a good sign because we saw how dominating, you know, how dominant he was going into the postseason last year against the against the Rays, and it didn't work out for him then. But I think it's going to work. Uh, you know. Hopefully he can build off that. We talked to him about that yesterday, but I think he can build off that and the success he had the, down the end of the stretch of the season and hopefully it carries over into the start today. I think we just got uh, some good luck. What's that? Spencer, my dog, just arrived in the studio. Did you see him? I can't see him. That's okay. You didn't see him? I held him up so you could see him. I was going, That was probably going through Sean and I's game log. That's probably why I didn't see him. Oh, you! Spencer came in, gave me a little love. That's what we need. We need a little love. Well, I, I think I brought the number up to you before, and this is the, and and this is uh this is a large sample size, but the A's are two and zero in the postseason when Ray Fossey comes on this program with his friends. So maybe. okay, now that see now you want some real data, <laughs> and you want some real analytics. Fossey and friends is undefeated. How many times did Fossey play in the World Series? Three. Twice. Oh, twice. That's right. He was on the 72 team. How so many times did they win when Fossey was on the team? Uh, as the as LeVar Ball would say, they never lost. So they're two and, uh, they were 2-0 and with Ray Fossey in the, in the World Series. Fossey is undefeated in the World Series. Fossey, so far in 2020, is undefeated when he makes an appearance with a friend on A's Cast Live. So initially, I wanted it to be Fossey and uh, Vaskersian on one day, and then Fossey and uh, Phil Garner on another. But with Matt's uh, travel schedule to, to Texas, um, it wasn't going to work out that way. So we had him on today by himself. But uh, So we're having Fossey and Phil Garner at noon, and I'm looking forward to that one because they were teammates together from, I think, 73 to 75 with the A's. And then Garner go, went on to play for the Pirates and the Astros and managed the Astros. So – a lot of ties to the Astros and A's in that. That conversation that we'll have. So will it be 3-0 and after today? I guess we'll have to find out later today. 
It better be three and zero. Or we have to kill the segment. The segment won't happen anymore if they if they lose. It's, it's been a good luck charm. It, they better be three and zero. Remember, they beat the White Sox with Hawk Harrelson and Ray Fossey, and then they beat the White Sox again with Ray Fossey and Joe Rudy. So we'll see if Phil Garner and Ray Fossey can get them a win against the Astros. They better be three and zero. I mean, I can't say that enough. Because <laughs> you go down zero two. I love how. Uh, MLB does the eight teams play today, the eight key storylines. And, of course, what's going to be the A's? The A's, can they tighten it up? There have been two things the A's have been able to count on all season, terrific defense and a truly dominant bullpen. Both things went sideways in their game one loss to the Astros. Bullpen gave up seven runs, and that outburst came on the heels of a pivotal Marcus Simeon Air. Uh, so, and you expected a solid outing out of Chris Bassett, which you didn't get the length and you didn't get the solid outing out of Chris Bassett. I mean, basically, you had a lot of things go right. I mean, Chris Davis going deep, which is great to see. Matt Olson going deep, breaking his slump. I mean, there was some good things there. But in the end, your strengths did not show up. And if your strengths don't show up in the postseason, you got problems. Yeah, and it was great to see Murph, uh, Sean Murphy hit another home run. He's been on fire since the beginning of September for the A's, and that's why they moved up to seventh in the batting order today. So hopefully he can keep that going because uh, he has a lot of power potential as, as for, you know, in the backstop for the A's. So. Getting him to keep that hot streak going, getting Chris Davis to keep, you know, if he can keep hitting home runs and getting bases like he did yesterday, it, it might be the, when I start asking uh, the real question going forward more and more is, is this a Chris Davis of old? Is he back? I mean, every player slumps, but I, not slumping for a year and a half like he has, so it's good to see him kind of come out of it a little bit. And for the Astros, they say, can the renaissance continue? Can these guys who did nothing this year, can they keep it going? I love the Yankees one. Is the Death Star fully operational? Well, it sure looks it. The Yankees have scored 31 runs in three postseason games. Coming up next, Martin Gallegos from MLB.com will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, we're getting ready for game two of the ALDS down in Dodger Stadium. As the Athletics need to get a victory here in game two. Valdez up against Sean Manaya. And Martin Gallegos from MLB.com joins us here. Martin, how are you? Good, Tony. Um, you know, just playoff baseball man it's it's exciting stuff you never know what's going to happen that game yesterday was kind of an example of that it looked like the A's were right in hand and then some stuff happened so I mean it's it's, it's playing out like playoff baseball so far and it's exciting to watch well you know it's uh the strengths of the A's did not show up in game one and a strength that's not supposed to be there for the Houston Astros uh, you know, their bullpen has delivered 14 and two-thirds scoreless innings this postseason. And I know people will go, well, some of that has been from starters. Well, whatever. 
It's the guys coming in after the starters, whether they're starters or not. They've been throwing up zeros for the Astros. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of guys who bring bring the heat. You know, um, high velocity fastballs, and I mean that, that's one thing that we've kind of seen the A's, you know, struggle with at times um, over the season, and even last year. Um, those guys who come out of the bullpen throwing heat, I mean, they're tough for anybody to go up there against. But it seems like the A's, um, you know, have some trouble kind of catching up to those guys in the later innings. Um, and we saw that last night. I mean, Paredes came in there and was just shutting them down for two innings. They brought in Javier out of the bullpen. And, you know, the one thing there is, you know, they have a lot of young guys, but Martin Maldonado behind the plate is such a good catcher. I mean, he's able to guide these young guys, even if they're struggling. We saw in that White Sox series how, how those young guys came in and, and they were walking guys and, and kind of losing control. A guy like Maldonado behind the plate is such a big difference in this series because he's able to guide those guys um, through those late innings, and he did that yesterday. How great was it to see Chris Davis go deep again? I mean, uh, I think Chris Bassett said it, that he's back, you know, point blank when we asked him about it. And I mean, the way he's swinging the bat right now, he's, he's making incredible contact. Um, he's barreling the ball. Um, and he's going the opposite field, which obviously we all, we've all seen him do at his best. I mean, those that reign of you know home runs that he had from 2016 to 18, when he was the best slugger in the game. That's what he was doing on a consistent basis, and it's, he seems to be doing that now in the postseason. And it couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, when you're missing a guy like Matt Chapman in the middle of your order, maybe doesn't have the power that you that you once had um, to get Chris Davis in there and, and get him going like that. I mean, even if they lost that that game yesterday. I mean, it bodes well for the series because they're going to have to score runs um, no matter what. And Chris Davis is obviously a big part of that equation. You're going to score more runs if he's uh, swinging the bat well. I mean, you got to be shocked, right? Hitting 333, two home runs, and three postseason games. I mean, it's, it's, it's <laughs> it literally is shocking. Yeah, no, I, nobody would have expected that for sure. I mean, he was having better at bats towards the end of the year, but to expect this, no, nobody expected it at all. And, and it's been a nice surprise. They need this. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's a terrific shot in the arm for for the green and gold. And, and you see when he hits a home run, how it just – what it does for the dugout. Everybody gets so fired up, and just because he's meant so much to this franchise. Yeah, I know. The, the vibe is definitely different when Chris Davis hits a home run in that dugout. They, Like you said, they explode. Um, everybody is can't wait for him to get back in the dugout and, you know, give him his props. You know, that's a guy who – I mean, they've seen the struggles he's gone through, you know, up close and personal. I mean, he, people don't really see, you know, Chris Davis as that emotional guy who, you know, it doesn't look like things bother him at all. But, you know, we all know he's been, he's been uh, you know, grinding through this. And he wants to be good. I mean, especially after that contract that he got to, to have gone to such a slump. I know that that's been eating at him. He doesn't feel good about it. And he's been trying hard. I mean, the, the coaches and batting, uh, batting instructors, all of, all of them tell us that, you know, he's working hard in the cage to try to make adjustments and get things back on track. And, you know, it's been hit or miss, you know, for this season. But, I mean, he seems to have found something at the plate here. And, and, and the players certainly love to see that. They, it gives them an extra, kind of an extra jolt of, of uh, adrenaline, an extra energy boost when, when Chris Davis is doing big, th- big things, for sure. And I think you would say the same thing for Matt Olson. How nice was it for him to finally see a ball leave the yard? Yeah, I mean, he just needed he just needed a hit, man. I mean, to go hitless in that wildcard series, I know he had some good at bats, and he ended up, you know, getting that ball past Madrigal in the in the game game two or three or whatever it was to get the get the lead. Um, but you know, he needed he needed to get a hit. I mean, the A's offense it goes through this guy. I mean, over the season, you know, he didn't put up a big big batting average, but he was their main run producer, led them in home runs. 
So this is what he does. This is this is when you get to the playoffs, your your best players need to perform. We've seen it with the Astros. You know, some guys over there didn't have the best of seasons, but you saw yesterday Springer, Altuve, Bregman. Those guys were on it. Those guys were were uh, contributing and 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 doing stuff. Seems like every time they came up to the plate, they did something. Um, and that's what you need, you know, from from the middle of the order guys here with the A's, Mark Canna, Matt Olson, Chris Davis. These are the guys, Marcus Simeon. These are your guys who you count on, you know, to be your your team leaders and your guys who provide a spark on offense. These are the guys that you need to get going um, in this series in order to to get some runs on the board and and you know, hopefully, you know, not have something happen like yesterday where you where you blow a late lead. Usually, a situation like yesterday. I think more times than not, the A's are going to are going to hold on for that win if they can get runs early like this yesterday. All right, so the A's have lost eight consecutive game ones, and that though that counts wild card games too. I'm going to give you the starters just to tell, just to kind of give everybody an idea just how crazy this is. Barry Zito, Jared Parker, Bartolo Colon, John Lester, Liam Hendricks, Sean Manaya. Jesus Lazardo, Chris Bassett. It just it shows so many different players, so many different people. To think that something like this is still going on, it, it it's hard to it's hard to answer why. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, you hear those names. I mean, those are guys who, you know, for the most part, you're going to feel good about, um, you know, taking the ball for you in Game One, no matter who it's against. And um, you know, it's one of those stats where it's. It's weird when you when you read it, you can't you kind of scratch your head like wow, wow, really? You know the the second longest streak in, in game one losses. You wouldn't expect it with the with the type of pitching that that's gone through this organization over the years, especially back in the day with like you guys we mentioned like Barry Zito and, and stuff like that. You would you would think uh, you know they would have had one more recently, um, but I mean it just goes to show you that that's how baseball is, man. It's it's weird. Um, the 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 A's streak of elimination games I think was was more of the tough one, but this one is. It's kind of more of a random one. You just kind of don't expect it. But, um, you know, luckily for them, it's a five-game series. I mean, they've shown resilience all year. Um, even in the regular season, you know, losing the first game of a series, they've often come back and, you know, they've been able to take two of three or, or, or three of four in the, ne- in the next, you know, in whatever type of series it is. And we saw the wild card series. They were able to bounce back after that game one loss. So, I mean, the game one loss isn't a dagger, but, I mean, you need a good start from Sean Maniah today for sure. Well, you got to think about Monday's loss, and, and I'll give you one for the A's and the Rays. So the A's last Monday, despite hitting three home runs, they were 7-0 and this year when hitting three or more home runs. And the Rays last Monday, they hit two home runs. They were 20-4 and this year when hitting two or more home runs. When you look at the two losses in the division series, which one do you think was worse and more demoralizing, the A's or the Rays? I think the Rays one, the the way the Rays one played out was a little bit more tough because I mean they were in that thing late if I if I recall, and in the ninth inning I mean it just seemed like it never ended and and a game like that to end like that I think is worse with the A's you know they they had a chance to come back you know they had a few innings to work with and they didn't do anything but it seemed more like you know they kind of they kind of you know were were you know coming into today. From the, the reaction I saw from the players, they didn't, they didn't seem they didn't seem like to phase them at all. It didn't look like one of those losses that was you know demoralizing and it, it's just going to hamper you for the series. So I think they've brushed that off pretty well. A lot of it is you know team mentality, how they how they deal with these types of losses. The A's have, I mean, over the, since I've been covering them, they've they've had some terrible losses where 
I felt like, man, if, if there's ever going to be a time where they're going to go into like a, like a big losing streak because of one loss, it's now. And they've had those type of losses and bounced back um, in, a, in a big way. Even if it, in Houston last year, they had a terrible loss and came back and blew them out the next day. So, I mean, with this A's team, I think it depends, like I said, on all the, uh, on the players that you have on the team. The A's don't let, you know, stuff like that get to them. I don't know about – I can't speak for the Rays personally. I know they're a great team, so I wouldn't expect them to kind of get down after one loss. But if you ask me between the two, I think the Rays one was, was definitely worse, just the way it ended. I know you've talked to Sean Manai about this. What do you think he really learned from last year's wild card game that can help him today against the Astros? You know, I think just being more relaxed. I think he went into that game, you know, probably putting too much pressure on himself to try to go out there and, and throw a shutout. Um, and I think I think he kind of realized that you got a good team around him, and, and if he could just like go out there and, and give a quality start, you don't got to you don't got to shut them out for seven innings. Obviously, you you would love to do that, but you got a good offense behind them, and if he could just do what he's done all year, not try to change things up, I, I think that's all he needs. I think um, anyone's first playoff start is going to be. You know, pretty nerve-wracking. I mean, Chris Bassett told us his first one was nerve-wracking, but he was able to keep the emotion in check and have a good one against the White Sox. Um, I think, you know, not having fans in the crowd is, is something that actually probably helps a guy like Manaya because he's a guy who, who could get kind of amped up from, from that, that crowd noise and maybe, you know, try to try to throw throw balls by guys. Um, so not having fans, I think, something that to watch here. I think he might do better because of that. But um, having a long stretch of rest as well, Usually we've seen him when he gets more more than the you know regular rest. He, his fastball velocity after actually gets to play up a little bit. So I expect him to have a, a harder fastball today, which has always worked well for him. I mean, 12 days of rest, you you always worry about rust, and he hasn't really been able to throw to hitters. But I mean, it's something that he has to deal with. Um, but I think that that uh, wild card experience last year definitely helped him uh, if he finds himself in a similar situation today. But it was kind of weird. I mean, that, that wild card game, it just kind of sped up on him so fast. I mean, it was home run after home run right at the beginning. I think he's just got to kind of settle in a little bit and kind of trust what Murphy's putting down and, um, you know, try to just try to just go out there and give a quality start. That's all he really needs. Yeah, it ended up being the numbers of the White Sox against lefties, why he didn't pitch in game three that led to this long layoff because normally uh, there's no way you would want your starting pitcher yeah. – Guy going game two hasn't pitched all the way back since Wednesday at Dodger Stadium against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, you know he went a stretch with I think when the when the A's had the positive COVID test, I think he went about ten days in between starts then, and then he faced the Padres. His velocity was was definitely as hard as it's ever been in that in that start, and he pitched okay that game. He, didn't, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad either. And I think that's that's the type of start they need. Just just a start where. Go deeper than what Chris Bassett was able to go last last night because you don't want to, you know, you have a good bullpen, but you don't want to get into it and and just, you know, trash it through two games and you know all of a sudden have to rely on a on a long outing in game three by whoever starts that game. So I, I think you just need to focus on on being able to go five or six innings, solid baseball, get it to the bullpen. Hope hope the A's can score runs. I think the A's have a pretty good shot to score some runs against Framber Valdez. I think he's the type of guy who they actually hit pretty well similar type of type, type pitchers, the guys who they've had success with all year. So I think it's just about get, keeping them in the game, um, allowing allowing his, his offense enough time to, to get a, an early lead and, and just try to hold that for the bullpen. Are you saying the A's are going to hit with runners in scoring position today? <laughs> they might hit some home runs, but run, the runners in scoring position has been an issue, man. They, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, three for 30 going back to last year in the postseason, that's, that's a rough stat. Um, 
And, um, you know, this year, I mean, all season, we've seen them struggle with runs in scoring position. Um, so, I mean, it's tough. I mean, do you, you, you start to wonder, do you go to small ball in those situations? The A's never do that. Um, I know we've asked Bob Mellon about it and, you know, it's never, we never really get a, a solid answer of, of if they'll try that or not. But I mean, at some point, I think you have to, you have to try to switch it up somehow because those runs and scoring position numbers are, are tough, man. And it's, and it's tough to see those situations like yesterday when, you know, you get the home run and you can start to add on and really put put the pressure on the Astros early and to come come away with nothing when it's on second and third, no outs. That's that's a tough way to go, man. Those are those are detrimental. Wouldn't you say? I mean, not just because it's game two of a five game set, but winning today, you've got to stop their momentum because. I can read you a bunch of stats. Astros are hitting 320 with runners in scoring position these playoffs. Uh, Springer's on base uh, a ton. Correa, they're getting their confidence back. I mean, this is the game where you got to end that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you cannot you cannot fall into an early hole here and and expect to just come back and win win three in a row. It just it rarely happens. I mean, the, the numbers will say it, and um, just for the for the for the momentum of your of. My men is of your team. You cannot go down to a to a two a hole. I mean, it's it's just it's so hard to bounce back from that. So they need they need to focus on just playing a good nine innings and coming away on top. Because once if you can you know even up the series, all of a sudden it's you know it's back to normal. You just play a three game series and you feel pretty good about your chances. Now the A's are good against lefties, but Valdez has the most strikeouts on curveballs this season with sixty. So I think there's a reason we saw. Valdez in this game, McCullers also, because they knew that uh, at times the A's will have good power numbers, but their batting average against curveballs has just been horrific. Yeah, you know, I think I think with a guy like Valdez, similar to uh, to yesterday, how they were doing with McCullers, they were being pretty patient and um, they were they were able to make him throw some pitches. And I think for the most part in this postseason, with the exception of that first game against Giolito, they were they came out swinging. At everything it seemed like, and and you know he obviously had that deep start. But after that, they've they've been making starting pitchers work, which I think is when they're at their best, taking a lot of pitches, working the count, and looking for their pitch. Especially with a guy like Valdez, if you come out swinging early, he's going to get you with that sinker, and you're going to start grounding into ground ball outs early and hitting into double plays, and all of a sudden you look up, his pitch count is low, and he's already through six innings. You cannot have that. Uh, so you got to you got to work him work him in the count early, and and try to try to you know attack one of those curveballs. Um, I know the numbers aren't great against the curveball, but um, we've seen the A's at times. You know, if if a, if a guy can hang a curveball, they can they can crush it out. I think facing a guy like Valdez is a lot. Um, they'll have a lot more success against a guy like that than say you know a guy who goes out there throwing 98, 99, blowing guys blowing fastballs by guys up. When you're facing a guy like that, I think they're more depending on just trying to draw walks and hoping that he's wild. But against a guy like Valdez, I think there's more of a shot that they can hit some hit some balls out, especially with the way the ball's traveling. At Dodger Stadium, it's crazy out there. <laughs> yeah, so I I had the note yesterday that nobody has started in left field more than Dusty Baker for the Dodgers in his career. He started 500 times in left field. And you think of all the teams he's managed going into Dodger Stadium. Dusty Baker said after the game, I've never seen the ball carry at Dodger <laughs> Stadium like this ever. It's nuts. I, I couldn't believe it. That that home run that Bregman hit, that looked like a routine pop-up. And, you know, Grossman just ran out of room out there and it went out. Even Olsen's, I mean, Olsen crushed that ball as far as exit velocity, but the launch angle wasn't, you know, great. And it just kept carrying as well. I think Marcus Simeon was saying maybe it's not a homer at the Coliseum. 
Um, it was crazy some of the balls that were going on. Both these teams have, have players who hit the ball hard and, and can hit home runs, but some of them that were going out yesterday, and even that, that series against the Dodgers that the A's had at, at night, those three night games, I know the Dodgers have power hitters, but, man, it, it's just weird the way the ball carries there. And, you know, growing up, you know, watching watching games on TV at Dodger Stadium, I, I don't remember the ball ever carrying like that, so it's weird. I don't know if it's just the heat you know, the unusually warm temperatures or what, but I've never seen anything like that. It's weird. And even in San Diego, it was carrying too. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, last, I mean, the last night it was unbelievable. I mean, both these places used to be pitchers ballparks. All right, let's end on this. Look into your crystal ball. What happens today? I think Manaya goes out there and, and, and redeems himself a little bit. I think he has a solid outing. I think the A's score early again. And I think this time the bullpen can make it stick. I mean, this bullpen's too good to, go two days in a row with, with bad outings like that. So I think the A's bounce back, make it 1-1, and all of a sudden you're looking at three games, three-game winner take off. All right, buddy. Uh, enjoy the game. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Tony. Thanks, man. Martin Gallegos. A's win today. And then it's best out of three. Got to take two out of three. Valdez, 60 strikeouts on curveballs this year, the most of any single pitcher. The A's slugged 445 against curves this year, which is the seventh best in the majors, but they only hit a buck 80. This is where statistics, right? They hit only a buck 80 against curveballs, which was third worst. So slugging-wise, they're one of the best teams against curveballs. Batting average-wise, they're one of the worst teams against curveballs. Explain that, that. You're right. It's <laughs> when you hit when you hit over 400. When you slug over 400, I mean that's pretty good. But if you're only hitting 180, you're not making a lot of um, how can we put this? A solid contact. Because uh, when your slugging percentage is higher, that means you're getting a lot more extra base hits. But uh, they got they got to face it because Valdez, like you said, he had the most strikeouts with curveballs last year. They faced the same guy. In that same situation, Charlie Morton led Major League Baseball curveballs last year in strikeouts. So, man, if, if they can get the, if they can get some uh, balls out of the ballpark today with runners on, uh, it's going to be a good day. So that's the key. We've been saying that I feel like forever. You got to get guys in. Fossey and friends coming up right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, we are going to have Raymond Fossey joining us here, and Ray will be joined by Scrap Iron, former A, a world champion with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I got to ask Ray this. Wikipedia does not have Phil as a World Series champion in 1973 or 74, but yet he was an A's player during that time. I always wondered that, too. Hello, Ray Fossey. Did you call me Raymond? No, I called you Ray. Before the before I called in, did I hear Raymond? I don't know. Did I? <laughs> I don't know. How are you, Tony? All right. I got a question for you. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. You've had a good show this morning. Matt Vaskersian was all. Matt Vaskersian was great. Dave O'Brien's the best. Um, Martin Gallegos. I mean, 
Cody is the master of arranging guests for you, but I must say, like I've said before, he arranges the guests and you take over from there. So it's a, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice team effort that you guys have. So congratulations. You're doing a great job. Well, Cody uh, went Reggie Jackson and said he's the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> well, listen, he's got some big shoes to fill if he's going to say that. Because Reggie definitely was. And Reggie could back up everything that he said. Now, I'm sure Cody can do the same thing. However, I'm sure there are some people who say, who are you, Cody? They don't say that to Reggie. <laughs> yeah, C- Cody Sorry, Cody. Never- Sorry, Cody. Cody. <laughs> Cody doesn't have a candy bar either. <laughs> well, did you hear what happened with those candy bars when they did that, the Reggie bar? They had to yeah. hold up play to get all the, all the candy bars off the field. Oh, yeah. They passed them out before the game, and they ended up on the field. And they said, wait a minute. And they had to postpone or at least uh, take time to remove all the Reggie bars from the field. But it was a great, it was a great bar. It was a mixture – between caramel and, and nuts and an around patty type. And it was good. I enjoyed it. Your question. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Phil Garner played in nine games for the A's in 73, played in 30 games in 74, but yet it doesn't list him as a world champion for those two years. Why is that? Because he was not on the roster. I, I remember asking him about that one time and, uh, they decided against putting him on the roster. So I, I don't know the particulars about it, but I, I know that uh, it was said and has been said that he won a couple world championships or a world championship. Uh, but, uh, you know, he took over when Dick Green, because he played a lot in 75 and he stayed here and then ended up going to the Pirates from, uh, from Oakland. And, he, and Chuck Tanner managed him here in Oakland uh, remember the trade of uh, Manny Sanguin for Chuck Tanner, the catcher for the for the manager, <laughs> and then Chuck ended up back in Pittsburgh, where Phil won the world championship in '79, or was part of that uh, "We Are Family" sister sledge, you know. So, but no, he he was not on the roster, and I, I saw, you know, certain things happen, and um, but I remember he was on the team. But he told me he wasn't on the roster, and I can't remember exactly why he was not on the postseason roster. Uh, but you know, Charlie, I guess Charlie decided against it because we know Charlie ran the club or at least, uh, uh, people assumed he did. Uh, but you know, that's another story. Yeah. Well, you know, there, and, 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 you know, baseball in recent years, all you have to do is play on the team during the season and you get listed as a world series champion. Well, exactly, and you get the ring and the whole thing, and usually those uh, those players who do participate get the ring and the whole thing. But if you know, there's a 25 man roster for postseason, like at least then. Now it's uh, it's it's larger than that, but uh, you know, you're, you're listed that way. But bottom line, if you're not on the roster, technically, you're not one of the 25 that participated. And I think that's what Phil was referencing, especially in '74. He just came up for the minimal amount of time in '73. And in 74 played more, but uh, since he wasn't on the roster, I think that's where the designation changes, where you have basically the 25 players, manager, coaching staff, and that's it as far as that particular team. And uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Cause I've looked it up and, and those players that I know uh, a lot of players, some of whom who were on the team that I didn't remember being on the team. They was just, come in and leave and, and and things like that would happen but uh in phil's particular case that i think and, and maybe we can ask him what happened 
uh, when we have him on the air. So you the ask Mar- him. You ask him. <laughs> no, I'm not asking him. All right, the Marlins, <laughs> they have the moniker of the uh, Miami Bottom Feeders, which is absolutely great. Uh, yeah. So they went through some of the great, and they did say the number one moniker of all time, the 1979 We Are Family Sister yeah. Sledge Pittsburgh Pirates, where they said led by the Hall of Famer Willie Stargell, who had hit the big home run in Game 7 of the World Series against the Orioles. They rate that as number one all time. And I'm not surprised. I'm not I, – I was – I was getting ready, actually went to Venezuela that winter uh, in 1979, and I think moved some furniture in our house and then jumped on a plane and went down to Venezuela to play winter baseball right after they won the world championship in 79. But I'll never forget that. And, and, you know, that's you talk about a family. They were a family. And you think of Willie Stargell, Big Pops, and and Dave Parker, uh, Garner, of course, on that, and, and you know, just so many great players played on that team. And uh, uh, I think it was Steve Blast, didn't he pitch a complete game in game seven? I think he I think he said he had a complete game victory in game seven against the O's. Cody may can look that up because um, I, I remember interviewing him, and I think he said he had a complete game victory uh, against the Orioles in that. But, no, it was it was great. And, and, you know, they would play that song just like the A's play Celebration. And – you know, something like that is—it's always going to be around. You're—you're you're not going to change something like that. Calling right, Houston. We're calling Phil. They're speaking. Phil, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend and Ray Fossey. <laughs> how you doing? Good. You guys all right? Hey, oh, Scrapiron, how you doing, buddy? I'm all Scrapiron right. You're doing? Surviving all this, surviving all this nonsense. <laughs> Well, you know what? The, the one thing I look forward to when the club goes to Houston is seeing you in the manager's office and visiting with you. Now, I, my, my first question to you right off the top, you know, you're, you're a great Astros manager. You're great friends with Bob Melvin. Who are you pulling for in this series? <laughs> well, I'm hoping Bob uh, manages well. i got to pull for the Astros. i got to do I, that, but I'm looking for Bob. So maybe it'll end in a tie. I don't know how it's going to work. I listen. That was a loaded question. You have to do that. But you know, uh, I, I, I do have to ask you. Tell us about your friendship with the skipper Bob Melvin. How far it goes back, and, and how it all started. And obviously, it's continued whenever the A's are in Houston, and I'm sure other places you see him. But how did that start? Well, yes, we go back playing days when both. Uh, played San Francisco and 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 I got traded to San Francisco my last year. So that's when I got to know uh Bob beyond just saying hello, you know, across the field on, on occasions. And actually that's we played with Dusty Baker that my last year too. So Bob Dusty very well and Bob and I became close close friends. So there's kind of a, a connection between all three of us in that regard. But um and then I got even closer to, to Bob when uh, brought him in to help out with some scouting in Milwaukee after I'd been with scouting. And actually, Sal Bando suggested that. I didn't know Bob was looking to do that at the time. And I said, when I heard it, it was, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And, of course, Bob was um, 
he did a great job scouting, and then we wanted to bring him onto the field, in which Sal was very agreeable to that. So that's how that's how it all came about. Where uh, Bob Bob was my kind of like right hand guy for five years, and and then he went on to manage and left me to go manage, and uh, and he's done very well since then, obviously. Well, you mentioned Sal, of course, the captain size general manager with the Brewers at that time. You were with him in Oakland before the free agency, and Charlie basically said, I'm not giving long-term contracts. But but what was it like for you to be a part of the Oakland A's team, and especially guys like Sal Bando and Gene Tennis, Joe Rudy, Reggie, and all those guys that you jumped in and were a great part of that uh, those teams? Well, I don't, I don't know that I would say I was a great part of them. I came in after – you know, basically those guys were, were doing a lot of winning before I ever got there. So I was privileged to come in and uh, Ray Fossey's being quiet over there because, you know, they picked on me a lot. But they didn't pick <laughs> on me nearly as bad as they picked on Herbie Washington. But That's it was, right. <laughs> you know, the razzing, the razzing that you, you took in those days as number one as a rookie or number two as an outsider, if you were perceived that was uh, was pretty tough but it was all good natured it was all in good fun and you had to you had to if you didn't have a sense of humor you need to figure out where to get one pretty quickly or otherwise they were going to have you crying they they were the best at uh, what they used to call riding you in those days they were the best so it was, uh, it was enjoyable times i i never felt like i was not part of the group i mean i always felt like even though they had had successful world series before i got there i always felt like i was a part of the group so i even though uh, they beat up on me pretty hard at times i still felt part of the group well for people to understand nowadays they have at least two maybe three four buses back then it was one bus we were all on the same bus <laughs> and that, and that's yeah. and that's where the riding came up but you know the one thing about herb washington I think of his baseball card, and he's got a bat on his hand. And, we, and there was a reunion. I said, Herbie, why did you have a bat in your hand? You'd, he never hit one time. I mean, he was he was a sprinter, a hurdler. And, but, no, you're right. He took the ribbing, and, oh, by the way, he went on to – he's had a very successful uh, post-baseball career. But, Phil, what, one of the things that you, – you played for Chuck Tanner a couple of times. Correct me if I'm wrong. In 76 and then back in 79? Yes. Talk about 76. Yes, that, no, that's with, right. Yeah, because he was traded uh, for Manny Sanguin, and, and I think he's open. Right. But talk, yeah. about, talk, talk about that team, because I, I think I looked it up. He had 35 stolen bases, and you guys as a team in Oakland in 1976 stole well over 300 bases. What was that like with, man, with a manager of, of a running team, and how much that helped you when you became a manager to do maybe some of the similar things? Well, it, it kind of changed the paradigm in, in those days. You know, everybody, Earl Weaver was a great manager at the time, and his famous line was, you know, uh, I'll take the three-run homer anytime. Yep. Well, every manager will take the three-run homer. Sparky Anderson was managing Detroit in those days, and he had four or five guys that hit over – four guys maybe hit over 20 home runs one year. Um, we – Everybody, any manager, if you had your choices, would take a three-run homer or a bunch of guys that could hit the three-run homer at any time. But then sometimes you got to play with what you're dealt with, and you don't have that luxury of power. And Tanner, Chuck Tanner, when he took over the A's, then he he sort of changed that that 
line of thinking and started running with reckless abandon. Just told he told everybody. He told Sal. Uh, he told me. He told everybody. You feel a lot of bases. We're going to be aggressive starting in spring training. I want you out taking big leads. You're going to go steal bases. And if you get thrown out, it's on me. I want you to be bold and go do it. And, and you know, we uh, Matt Alexander made the team that year, and he was a um, a minor league player that had great speed, but you know, was it going to be considered a, a really a major league player? But Chuck brought him on, and he ended up you know stealing a lot of bases that year, and kind of fit into the the game plan, which Chuck's game plan was: we're going to take it to everybody else. We may not have the power some teams have, but we're going to we're going to put pressure on you every chance we can. We're going to make your defense uncomfortable. And I, so you, and part of the question you asked, how did that affect me? Well, I, the, when I got the managerial job in Milwaukee, we had zero power. And hmm. so we had to steal bases. And at one point in time, I stole uh, uh, with a five run lead, which was uh, very much against the, the rules of, of the book in baseball, you know, against Sparky Anderson it prompted one of their coaches to come out and say that our uh, in Detroit that our running game bordered on the ridiculous. To which we replied, "Look, Detroit is in scoring position when they get on first uh, when they walk to the plate. We hmm. in, in Milwaukee, we we had to go second and third to get in scoring position. So <laughs> we didn't we didn't have a lot of power. So we had to play our game, and they had to play their game, and so." It, it affected me a great deal. I learned from Chuck to be bold. Go ahead and challenge the the uh, uh, the status quo, if you will. You know, Sparky, God bless him, was the dean of the managers at the time, and he was horribly offended that I stole with a five-run lead. And yeah. I had to tell him the next day. I say, look, Sparky, God bless you. I, I would never want to embarrass you, but I'm not going to go home after this over knowing that you can have two at-bats and and tie me up, and I can't score as like you can. So yeah. I got to do what I got to do uh, to be comfortable. And so it, it, it worked out, but uh, but Chuck influenced me that way in that particular year when he came in with the Oakland A's, and we became the running team instead of the swinging A's. They were called prior to that. We were called <laughs> the running A's after that. <laughs> well, well, you know the the thing is, the, you have a third base coach who gives a sign, and you also have base runners who have the green light to go and run whenever they feel they can get a jump. What did you guys do, especially in that 76 season, to steal that many bases? And like you said, everybody was running. Was it green light? Was it the stolen base? How, how was the sign given? Well, Chuck, Chuck was very astute. And number one, in what you find out, if, you, if you're going to steal bases, you have to be bold. You can't be afraid of getting thrown out. If you're too tentative, yep. you're never going to get the jump that you need to jump to steal, particularly at the major league level. So, so Chuck took that little part of the equation away when he said, look, it's on me. I want you to get a jump. Just be aggressive. Get a jump. If you get thrown out, if you get picked off, it's on me. It's okay. And he did. He took, he took that load all year long. If we got thrown out, if we got, and you know, the old adage was don't steal third base uh, yeah. because you're in scoring position at second base, but we stole third base a lot. And Chuck, if you got thrown out, Chuck said, it's on me. Now we'll, on it. If you need, if you get thrown out every time, maybe we need to consider that. But uh, the first part of the equation is being feeling like you're you're going to steal the base. You cannot have any second thoughts in your mind. So Chuck took that away. The other part about it is, is 
you've got to be able to pick your spots and, and when you're comfortable. So Chuck, let that happen, giving us, I think, just about everybody a green light. And then he'd put a, a, a stop sign on if he didn't want you to run. So, you know, that was out there too. But by giving you a green light, it wasn't like you had to go on that particular pitch. You could get yourself comfortable when you got comfortable takeoff. So it allowed the player to kind of get into the game. So as a player, you kind of generally know when a pitcher's going to throw an off-speed pitch or a breaking ball. You kind yeah. of, If you don't know, you get the feeling. And most guys that are going to steal bases would rather steal when a guy's going to throw a breaking ball or something off yeah. speed. So um, it allowed players to think for themselves. And I think most players are better when they do that. So yeah. that too. So it all, it all played out very well. And um, we ended up getting the playoff season. The great Phil Garner is uh, joining us, that great uh, voice, Scrap Iron, the nickname down in Houston. And, Phil, one of the things about you I think is special is that you had a chance to play on a world championship team. This this month of October, there's no doubt, month of October is the most special month in all of baseball. And you had a chance to play for a team that won a world championship, and you managed the team in a World Series, the Houston Astros, in 2005. Tell us what it's like to be a player – and the pressures you go through as a player and the pressures you go through as a manager, because like I said, you had an opportunity to do both. Well, and, and there's different, there, there's a different uh, approaches to the game as a player. You're basically, you know, consumed about yourself, your own position. So if you're second base, you're, you're constantly going through the lineup thinking, okay, am I in the right position here? We're going to pitch this guy's way. If it's a left-handed pitcher, with a sinker ball, I may play a different way than I do against with a left-hand pitcher that's a, he's a rising fastball. Or then the same thing can be true with right-handers. So you're really concerned about your area of the game, how you're going to do offensively or defensively. So you're focused on that. And there's a great deal of pressure you can put on yourself. But I would bet that that what I felt the majority of players feel. Uh, and that is once the games start, a lot of that anxiety goes away. Most of it goes away. Players have been performing their whole life, a lot of them in, in tough situations. And so when you get into those, most players really enjoy playing in those situations. And so what I found was, is, boy, if you, you, know, you walk out on the field and you realize 80 million people are watching, then if you mess up, it's really <laughs> going to be a mistake that everybody's going to remember. And, uh, but on the flip side is you can, if you learn to channel all of that energy, which is created by the anxiety, then you realize you're actually a little bit stronger. You throw the ball a little harder, swing the bat a little faster, and you run a little quicker than, than you could on a normal day. And it's just a fact that when you start these, every one of these little series, whether it's a, you know, the championship series or whether it's the um, wild card series or even the World Series, every one of them from, from the first playoff series on up as it ratchets up just a little bit. And so as a player, you're so keyed up that you don't get fatigued. And I'm not laugh at some of these people talking about guys being tired. That's such baloney. You're running on, Thank you're you. running on, oh, yeah. And, and if a guy's tired, if he tells me he's tired when you get to the World Series, I'm going to tell you, look, son, you're in the wrong line of work. You need That's to go right. play. If you, can't get up, if you can't get up for the World Series, there's something wrong with you. So, yeah, you, you, you know, when you go home when the series is over, you crash for three or four days because right. 
you are you are tired, but if your adrenaline's running the way it should be, you're not physically tired. You're you're and emotionally you're into these games. And I would say that as a player, it is great, great fun once you learn how to channel the anxieties and use it for your benefit. And I'd learned to do that, and I thought it was great fun in those situations. Now, as a manager, those anxieties are a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, you know. So you know, so along those along that line, Phil, I want to ask you because unfortunately uh, this age cast going to end. But I want to ask you about the '79, the We Are Family, that group of guys that you had. That man, it it, it was just a tremendous team. What was that like playing on that team? And, and hearing Sister Sledge and we are a family, being a family, winning the way you guys did. Well, and I'll tip my hat to Chuck Tanner for that, too. It was a wild yeah. and, and a crazy bunch, very much like the Oakland A's in their heyday. And Chuck Tanner knew how to handle them. He never came down with a hard hand, heavy hand. He used uh, kid gloves. He let uh, generally let these players become men, treated them as men and said, Go play and let let them play for the most part. Uh, very few very few times did Chuck ever get angry, and when he did get angry and and show that, every player knew that we deserved the the chewing out got or the discipline that Chuck needed to put out there. So, but but we had great players and we had great leadership. So Chuck didn't have to do that much. He kind of just sort of guided along with a soft touch, but. When you had yeah. Willie Stargell and Dave Parker, Willie Stargell was everybody's <laughs> favorite captain, and Dave Parker was everybody's MVP, you know, for a few years there that was one sure. of the best ball players in baseball. So everybody ended up behind those guys. We had a good pitching staff anchored by John Candelaria and on the front end and Kent Tacovia on the back end. We had a solid yeah. defense that could, could catch the ball. Oh, and, and Tim Foley at shortstop, who was fearless, you know, he – you know, he he just dared you to cut him up at second base. He didn't nothing none of that bothered him. So we had we had all the ingredients, and Chuck Tanner kind of mixed them up and threw them out there and let us play. So and and the results turned out to be pretty doggone good. Well, and they had a scrap iron guy at second base. Now I'm going to quickly ask you in about 60 seconds explain what it was like managing the Houston Astros when Albert Pujols hit the three run home run. With- in the well, league I, championship <laughs> you can ask me a lot of questions it won't take 60 seconds to answer that it, it took the air out of our balloon that's for sure but i gotta tell you the the, the better part of the story so the next yeah. day we got to go to st to conclude the series we couldn't finish it at home we had to go there right. we get on the airplane the next day and most of the time when you get these 27 to 28 year old kids on the airplane at 11 o'clock in the morning, there's a lot of racket going on. People are playing backgammon cards, playing funny games, poking each other. There's a lot of racket. Well, we get on that plane that morning. It was dead silent. We're flying to St. Louis. Wow. I mean, I'm up there on my front thinking, okay, boys, I could give a Newt Rockney speech here. What am I going to do? And, the, <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's a voice comes over the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Now, we're going to be flying at 30,000 feet to St. Louis today. And, oh, by the way, if you'll take a look at the left side of the plane, that object you see over there is where the pull hose hit last night. <laughs> and the whole plane went nuts. And it turned out to be Brad Ausmus that got on the microphone and, and did that. And when that happened, I kind of knew that it, it was uh, St. Louis was going to be in for a tough night. And and we ended up winning. And so yeah. I'm going to tip my hat to Brad Ausmus. I think he broke the ice. and. 
and was the real reason for that inspiration. Well, Phil, I can only say thank you for spending time with us because, like I said, you were a great second baseman, scrap iron, and, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed teasing a little bit, but you handled it quite well and go on and have the career you had as a player and as a manager. Uh, and I, like I said, I miss seeing you down in Houston, but uh, you take care of yourself. And, and I, I knew the first question, you're going to root for the Astros because you're there. And the uh, not surprised to hear that. The best to you, Carol, and uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. Okay, good deal, guys. Stay safe. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. How good's that? Donnie, you still there? Yeah, I'm still yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I, I like before we started that when you said, and hopefully Phil hung up, but uh, you said when we had Hawk and Joe and now Phil, uh, the club is 2-0 and in those two previous, and you guys said 3-0. and So let's, let's hope you're correct. But, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing, Phil, Phil was an outstanding player. He's a very good manager. And he took over that Astros team at, what, 2004 and then all of 2005 and guided them to the World Series. But, man, I had to get that question in about the Albert Pujols home run because I remember watching that. And they were all on their feet. The fans were. They were going to end it. And Pujols hit that. And that entire Minute Maid Park or whatever it was called at the time, Enron or whatever, it went deadly, deadly silent when he hit that ball. I mean, if anybody's been at Minute Maid Park, they have the train up on the top. And it just, I don't remember if the roof was open or closed, but uh, like Osma said, and it takes, it takes a player to be able to do that because I think Raleigh gave up a home run one time to uh, Larry Heisel that I said is keep or, it's still orbiting the earth. It was hit so far, and that's what Pujols did as well. But uh, good stuff with uh, Phil. He's a, he was a good man and continues to be. And uh, I know we see him down in Houston every time the A's go into Houston. And uh, Steve Usenich will say, hey, Gar is here. And I knew where he's going to be, right in with the skipper and talking to him. But uh, they go back a long way. And Sal Bando, of course, uh, general manager with the Milwaukee Brewers, brought Bob in. And, you know, he's he, to me, he's the best manager in baseball right now. Bob Melvin is. And uh, I think the A's fans should appreciate the fact that they have the best in the game. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate. And, and you know, he's, he's such a good, good manager on the field, but also a great person uh, when it comes to handling the players in the dugout and in the clubhouse. And that's what it takes to be a good manager. Are you, are, are, can, can, I, can I lift your spirits, Ray? Yes, sir. They're already lifted. I'm ready, man. Give me some whatever you got. Sean Mania, when he starts a day game, the team is 15 and three over the last three seasons, and yep. the opponent is averaging only 3.2 runs a game. When Manaya starts, the total is well. You don't want you don't care about that. Uh, Oakland is 93 and 57 after a loss over the last three seasons. Well, you know the one thing, and I love those numbers, but the one thing I liked yesterday when Mike Miner came in, Springer was four for four. What did Springer do when Miner faced him? struck out so if Manaya has his good stuff and and you know I, I think you know people could say well he's going to be nervous I think what he did not do in the wild card playing game last year I think he had to he had to deal with that what did Dave O'Brien said he went to Asia he was so upset that that he left the country after that game but you know the, the, the bottom line these guys don't look as pressure they look at okay I'm going to show that I deserve to be out here and I think that's what we're going to see from Sean and I today, and 
we'll see what happens. But a, a bottom line, there is uh, it's a five game series, and until you lose three or win three, something's going to happen. And I think the A's realize that as opposed to a one game wild card game. And uh, the, I, I think the biggest thing too. Justin Verlander will not pitch game five if it goes five. <laughs> that <laughs> is fact. All right, Ray, I'll talk to you in A's Total Access. All right, my friend. Good to talk to you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Cody. Well, what a great show we had today. Fossey and friends with the great Phil Garner, Robbie Grossman, Matt Vaskersian, Dave O'Brien from ESPN and the Red Sox, Robert Ford from the Houston Astros, and Martin Gallegos from MLB.com. That'll do it for A's Cast Live. Game two of the ALDS is coming up right here on A's Cast. I'll be back at 1240, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 